I'm not going to listen to this. Wait, you're chanting. I'm not going to Wait. hear this now. Pink Smoke presents the Pure Cinema Podcast. Ready to get bonkers? I am ready. I am ready to get bonkers. All right. So that is uh, my uh, co-host, Brian Sauer. Hello. Rupert Pumpkin something. Yes. Uh, And we are uh, today going to be joined on this uh, very fun topic uh, by somebody we've talked about a bunch on the show, uh, (laughs) much to his uh, chagrin, uh, discussing him behind his back on air, but uh, Phil Blankenship. Welcome, Phil. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I am uh, here to set the record straight. <laughs> uh, and you can you can set the record straight. I mean, I, when I got to LA, I uh, knew you as somebody who was programming Heavy Midnights at the uh, Silent Movie Theater, the, the formerly Cinefamily, future unknown. Um, and then you became. Well, I was married, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Oh, you were. Yeah, you were. Ma- yeah, yes. yeah, you did mention. Uh, and then I know you. And then you're uh, doing all the social media at the New Beverly, uh, and some programming, um, but I don't really know how that worked. Yeah, my fancy business card says social media <laughs> slash programming. So okay, I so it's still true. <laughs> it's still true. Um, and I don't know how you got into like I don't know what you did before you uh, how like how you got into doing uh, your screenings at the Cine Family. Was there a step before all that? In terms was of it, weren't you at the New Bev before that? Yes, yeah. it was. So I remember that. Basically, I've always been obsessed with movies. So one day I just went to the theater, told them they weren't playing the movies I wanted to see, <laughs> and did it myself. Very so nice. I uh, four walled the New Beverly for years at midnight uh-huh. and uh, dealt with the, the studios, lined up the film prints, handled the box office. Do you recall the what the first one you, you took the tickets did? to? Yeah. Wow. Well, me and Jackie, Jackie, who's here in the studio with yeah, us yeah. tonight. She's my partner in crime. Yes. Thank and you for And she told you about this podcast, I believe. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, She's a real listener. <laughs> yes, I do remember the first movie I played. So I did uh, Rock and Roll High School. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Randall, and this is Rock and Roll High School. Oh, Man, I did not know that. That Which is fantastic. Which was uh, a good start. No one showed up, but I did it, Assholes. so it worked. How expensive was it? I mean, you don't have to say the cost, but to four walls saying like the new Bev back then, was that is that still a pretty pricey endeavor? It cost me a lot of money for a long time yeah, until um, before I started breaking even. Uh-huh. So I really had to want to do it. But then you became a collector. Well, you're always a collector of prints because I know you and Mike Williamson and other friends of ours are actually pretty avid print collectors. So what I've discovered was uh, a lot of studios didn't have the movies that I wanted to play. (laughs) So I had to venture out and uh, explore other options where I found prints like in the collector community eBay, Weird Dudes and Garages, that sort of thing, yeah, nice. and uh, buy the prints myself so that way I could then pay the studios more money to <laughs> license them. <laughs> right, because you then have to track like who the hell even owns if it's a crazy movie, like some of the movies we're talking about today. You might The chain of title might be difficult. Can you take, have you ever been able to take a risk on a title you couldn't figure out, or you just can't do that? It's I difficult. would certainly never do that and talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you commit to this now? <laughs> <laughs> this incriminating evidence. Uh, were you a featured? I know there was a book last year. Is it A Thousand Cuts? A Thousand uh, Cuts by uh, Dennis Bartek yeah. and uh, Jeff Joseph. And you're, uh, were you involved in that at all? Are you I, I was. I was uh, one of the featured interviews. Oh. I was considered the, the young collector wave. So oh. Mike Williamson, who uh, may or may not have been on this podcast. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Keep him off, please. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. He doesn't um, listen, so I don't think. Yeah, fuck him. He doesn't <laughs> listen, you know? <laughs> so yeah, we were interviewed uh-huh. and uh, we talk about it and it was what it is. Yeah. It's a weird scene. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like that's that's like a TV show waiting to get made about people in that scene going to garages, looking for old prints, exchanging when the – I was listening to a – I think it was an NPR interview about the book with Dennis, you know, and it's just talking about how, you know, FBI were doing raids at certain people's houses back in oh, the yeah. – I don't know if it was in the 70s or early 80s, but either way, it just sounded like a – it's like a fascinating scene. But again, you're the kind of uh, cinephile that we respond to and that I think the reason we do this show is to try to tell people about movies they might not have seen. Like, I'm certainly in your debt to – there's a handful of movies that I caught at something you screened that just filled me with utter joy. I, you know, Like what? Uh, well, obviously, we've talked about it on the show. Have, Heavenly Bodies wasn't one you screened, but one you screened well, many he, times. Well, he screened it, but we – I didn't I, I can't remember if it. I saw one of those screenings or if I just knew about – I I 100% associate that movie with you and know about it because of you, and thank you. But is that on your list? Because if not, we should talk about it here. I did not pick it because okay. I don't think of that movie as bonkers. Yeah, it's just no. like a perfect movie. There, there are a I couple agree. moments that are bonkers I, I, I in a way that I like. I wouldn't have <laughs> the love it. scene. I feel like is like kind of got a little bit of a bonker feel to it. You know, like the child saying, "Mommy, what's an orgy?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> those are those moments strange, you're looking but... for. Uh, but you, let, you, let's talk. I, I am interested. Like, how did you? Because that's a movie we talked on on here. But I'm curious, how did that one come on your radar? Because that is like I find, especially in Saint Shockwaves, occasionally Arrow will put something out like. Like recently it was Doom Asylum. It's very rare that there's a film that comes out where you just had no knowledge of it. Like, didn't remember a VHS cover, didn't remember press, because most of us remember most of the covers. But Heavenly Bodies was one I'd seen the image of, but knew nothing about it. So how did that get on your radar? It was just one of those things where I saw it at the video store, mm-hmm. took it home, watched it, watched it again, watched it <laughs> a few more times after that. Yeah, I have a stack of videotapes uh, at my house, uh, copies of that one. And for a while, every time I saw a video cassette copy, I would buy it and then I would just give it to people. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but then when I started doing film screening programs, I found that the studio still had a print. Oh, cool. And so I ran that until they told me they wouldn't loan me the print anymore. Um, waited a few more years, <laughs> asked again. They told me they would loan it to me one more time. What? So we played it again. Um, and now it's uh, been a few years, so... I could probably ask. It could happen. Did they give a reason why? I think I just liked it too much. <laughs> They're like worried about your fetish. <laughs> Asshole's like, nope, he can't have it. So the, my big guy. question when I after I watched it because you know it filled me with you know it was pure joy. It's amazing. Uh, made me feel great as as I was turning forty. Uh, but then when I looked up the director and realized he's just like you know because another movie I've been pushing on here for since we started is Rituals, which I think is just a phenomenal movie. And the you know the lead actor next to Hal is the director of that film. And I was like, who is this guy and why did he make this one movie. Do you know anything behind the history of the film? I do. Uh-huh. I have uh, talked at length with uh, some of the writers and producers uh-huh. because they've all wanted to know why I was <laughs> so enthralled with this. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think all of that's got to be behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Fair enough. The mystery um, of the film continues. I think uh, the the magic of uh, Canadian film financing. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, say no more. Connexploitation. Uh, but the director, it wasn't, as you don't know anything about why he would want to do it, in, like, that you can tell us. Money. Okay. Oh, there you go. Cash all in. Right. Shocking in this yeah. industry. It wasn't passion <laughs> for aerobics? <laughs> this, is, this is kind of breaking my heart. Could you have made something up? <laughs> Uh, but another one that we talked about, and it's it's still actually probably I'm still kind of living in the memories of how great it was. Your perfect triple feature from just like a year or so ago, which was Stepfather, uh, Scream for Help, and Lisa. But for me, I, that was my first experience to Scream for Help, and that was just such a great way. I think I think you put me movie. on Scream for Help too, and that's to me definitely a movie that I'd categorize as bonkers. I'd, I'd categorize the double double headbutt of Lisa as also bonkers. <laughs> it's one of those fine moments you lead up to it. Um, 
I'm trying to think of other ones. There's been a number. I saw Demolition High for the first time because of your Jim Monarski triple feature. I'm a big Jim Monarski fan, so. Oh, yeah. But everybody should watch Demolition High. <laughs> and then they should yeah. watch Demolition University. Yes, oh, yeah. that I still afterwards. need to see. It's still my favorite uh, Shockwaves or his killer POV moment was when we had, I don't know if you know the story, but Jim Monarski, my friend's been his assistant since he left film school. And so I told my friend, get Jim to come on our show. And so Jim shows up and he's basically wearing like a tuxedo and he brings this beautiful one of his beautiful lady friends who's basically in a see-through dress and they both look like I've never I mean, I've met Wernowski a number of times I've never seen them look like this and I just watched the, I kind of surveyed the situation and went oh my god and I walked over to my friend I said did you tell them this is a radio show and he's like oh no I thought it was TV and then when we had to tell them that this was an audio podcast Jim Wernowski basically then sat down and like alright fucking okay yeah well alright we'll fucking do it like you could just the whole thing just changed it became and it was such a, I mean, he still ended up being to me the, the funniest guest we probably had, but that moment where ugh, you realize people still don't understand podcasts, man. <laughs> the gold we deliver. Well, one day I'll have to give you the stories where Jackie and I have actually been to Jim Warnersey's house. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, let me ask is... you does he have hundreds of animals? Uh, no. <laughs> Not that I saw. Oh, you didn't see? Okay. There's a period where he's dating the, one of the leads from all his movies, and every animal that possibly exists on this planet and Stray Cat was all in his house at once. And the, when we first got to town, my wife Selena, her first job, because of my friend, was to clean the house. <laughs> and she went there and she goes, you wouldn't even believe it. You have to come over. And so Jim wasn't there, and I was just like, it, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what is it with you going to people's houses when they're know. not home? Yeah, when they're not home, yeah. <laughs> so, That's have you been to my house? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah remember Jackie? Remember? No, <laughs> that could lead to ominous uh, thought. Um, but yeah, so our topic today, because we'll, I'm sure we'll keep circling uh, some of these films, is, and we we took great pains at knowing what to call this, which we'll discuss a little bit. Uh, but, you know, and when I was thinking about a lot of the movies we've talked about at length, uh, this idea of movies, uh, some of the terms are bonkers, movies, uh, you know, WTF or holy fucking shit, or what's some of the other, uh, I, I used to, I knew in New Zealand, what we'd go, oh man, that's batshit crazy. Like that's something we'd just call a film. And I don't think, and definitely this is a totally different different thing than a guilty pleasures thing that some people have because obviously we're not people really use that expression anyway but even if you did i usually think that's more like oh no it's actually bad and i like it for some reason these the only thing i could connecting tissue i could find and trying to discern what these films have in common for me was that they start a certain way and then a movie takes you somewhere that you could never imagine it could go and no other movie no other movie does that and it's and it quickly becomes one of my favorite things in movies because the more movies you watch the more routine most movies are and especially when books started being written by you know people who are specialized in how to write a script and suddenly it's kind of a flattening out of an industry but these movies had something in common that just like they just went somewhere unexpected so we're calling it bonkers uh you had some history of holy fucking shit because you know that was my first thought uh where it came from that term so yeah i think i have always associated the holy fucking shit terminology with uh, cinephile the video Mm. store that's on the west side over by the new art they have like a signature section there that's called holy fucking shit it's first place i ever saw it it really kind of captured the idea behind these batshit crazy, totally insane movies. That's where you would find Troll 2, yeah. Nuki, just all these movies before. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, I remember, <laughs> was something that you would always be put right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's just like the wild shit. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's what I would always gravitate to. So I, I just always associated that with the store. And that was kind of just like a shorthand for uh, 
how they would describe things that were just total brain burners. And yet it seems like that got picked up by mass. Like maybe it's like the Mondo crowd and the uh, maybe the Alamo kind of thing. I feel like that terminology then kind of caught on in the long run. Yeah, I think that they're, you know, there's a, a tribe of just movie maniacs. So yeah. they pick up things like that. Yeah, but you, you dig bonkers. Bananas. <laughs> bananas. Bananas. Movie, yeah, that's another good one. Said, brain now, Melters, that was one. Brain Melters is good too, yeah, actually. And is that saying you were like, when you were younger, were you attracted to that? Or is it just something like, as you watch more films, you just slowly found your more interest in fringe stuff? I think I've just always been super into all kinds of movies. Yeah. So anything that sets my brain on fire, yeah. whether it's something classic or, you know, art house style, yeah. or if it's weird, um, they're all kind of the same to me in that yeah. they're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Impromptu question. Brian hates it when I do this. So get ready. He hates us. Like he hates me for this. He'll edit me even talking about this out. <laughs> You'll never even hear this. I could keep talking. Uh, do you have a memory? I, I'm only asking because one came to me on the way here. Do you have a memory of the craziest things? You, not even the whole movie, but just something you're watching a movie. Because I, I think jaw dropping is also a good way to put it because you're watching something and there's something happens. I, many times in The Visitor, things happen where I, the first time seeing that in the theater, I was like, oh my God. Like, I didn't even know you could do that in a movie. Uh, but that's not my one. But do you have a film where you're sitting in a theater and you just saw stuff that you couldn't even imagine, like the craziest thing you've ever seen? And if it's on your list, don't worry about it. But is there anything like that you had that experience? I don't know if I can remember the first time, but yeah. every time I see a movie, yeah. I'm looking for that. Yeah. So there's always something in every movie that's good. Has that moment, yeah. I was going to say, Phil, you see just about everything in the theater, yeah. which I've noticed. Most I try to see all the movies that appeal to me, which is... Well, sorry, I didn't, I, that's what I meant. I, I guess I mean yeah. anything that you think you'll like, you'll see in the theater. So movies that people often don't find out about until home video, you're ahead of the curve in terms of that. So I'm always watching what you're – for the movie Papa, I think, is the one you're you're really into right now. Is that – Papa the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, one. see, tell, tell us about, I think that might fit into this show, but it, I It I'm does, seeing. but what happens if it's on my list? Oh, is it on your list? Okay, It's so. not on my list, but it could have been. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I I just realized you've been talking about it, and I don't know anything about it, and I was like, oh, well, we got to promote Papa on the well, show. Papa the Movie, Papa the movie is a new vanity project by uh, writer, director, producer, Dan is Israeli. Um, and I, I am unfamiliar with this guy before, but I guess he wrote a book called Papa the book, which is ostensibly based on his family's life. And then he may have done a, a stage play version of, of Papa, nice. the stage play. Nice. Um, but it's now a movie, and it uh, at least played here in Los Angeles on a number of screens for at least a few days. Huh. But it is... Is that a four-wall situation? I be- I, it has to <laughs> okay. be. Um, yeah. And there's actually, uh, there was a billboard right over here in Westwood, too. Um, so the guy must have uh, unlimited pockets. Yeah. But it's a movie that is ostensibly about a kid, though we don't know if he's a high schooler, a college student, or just some 35-year-old fucking man, um, (laughs) because it's never quite clear, (laughs) decides one day he wants to track down his biological father. Um, His adoptive parents, uh, Frankie Avalon and Daryl Hannah, are not incredibly (laughs) supportive of this. But uh, he does some sleuthing, finds out that a man who may or may not be his father is living at an assisted living facility. Uh, So he goes and becomes a gardener at this home (laughs) to spend time with this man who may or may not be his father. And it's the kind of movie where the main character's girlfriend's played by Misha Barton. And she says stuff like, what? 
That's a home for fucking retards. Oh, wow. wow. And you're just thinking, yeah. ah, this is, uh, whoa, dead. she's singing it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God they're doing it again. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie that hits you over the head for, I don't know, 100,000 minutes <laughs> yeah. of sometimes the dumbest people in the room <laughs> are actually... Are actually the smartest people. Uh, in the your cha- life. Chauncey Gardner <laughs> moment. Really, it's, Hal Ashby inspired. That's yeah. great. It's a uh, very impressive. Uh, I am a big fan of that movie for a couple reasons. Uh, everything I just told you, but also because it's got Paul Sorvino, uh-huh. who I think is great. Yeah. And there's a scene where he plays mentally challenged. That's what uh-huh. they uh, call it in the movie. And he is talking about yogurt, and I could just watch that all day. <laughs> Um, Michael Madsen, who's an orderly at the facility. Oh, wow. Well, this guy has got pockets. Um, He's got uh, more than Tommy and his own money. caught watching internet pornography and then blackmailed into being a good person. <laughs> oh. Um, it's pretty... Uh, has he made another film, or is this it? This is the one movie. Wow. And uh, I saw it in a theater with like an almost sold-out screening, oh. which was very strange. Normally, Jack and I see these kind of yeah. uh, trash movies, and we're the only ones there. But yeah. no, we were having a hard time keeping it together <laughs> while we're surrounded by... Uh, Probably cast and crew? No, no. Uh, I have no idea what the deal <laughs> these was. these people were. Yeah. It was just, Assisted living home was outing. <laughs> it, was, it was a late show, too. It was like you know, huh. 10 o'clock at night screening. And then we left the theater. We saw it at the Encino Lemley. And uh, all the Jewish weekly free periodicals that were like in the lobby uh. had Papa on the cover of all of them. Wow. So Guy had some promotional push. Yeah. <laughs> Though, if you look at the Papa the Movie Twitter account, my favorite tweet of the year uh was the account tweeting at Eric Roberts, who's also in the movie. Of course he is. Yeah. Saying, hey, Eric, it's Joe Bob. Yeah. I'm friends with Dan. We're trying to promote Papa. Do you think you could tweet about it? <laughs> and Eric's silence? Yeah, there was nothing. <laughs> Eric's silent. He's got 120 other movies this week to promote. Wow. <laughs> but I was like wow. very okay. impressed that their social right. media was like so on point. I so, tweeted about it more than they did. So has this one got a <laughs> you release? You tweeted about it a lot, which got me interested, but I hadn't read anything because I kind of wanted to wait and talk to you about it. So I'm glad. To I remember you t- uh, tweeting a lot about or recently about a surfing movie. Well, that's on the list. Okay, so okay. let's wait. Hold off on that. Um, so do we know if Papa is actually available? It is not currently available. Okay. We, we saw it last month okay. on the big screen. So it's brand new. So it's something to look forward to. Um, as to whether... Whether it will get a home video release, we will have to wait and see. Well, it sounds see. like he's got the power to do it. You know, he doesn't need a distributor. He'll probably become a distributor. That's how these guys work. It's always kind of remarkable. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I think often can lead to a really interesting film is somebody that's totally insulated yeah. from Hollywood and is just like, I'm doing this and uh, this is how I'm going to do it. You know. And well, that's and that's where like a lot of these strange films that have popped up. The bird, you know, obviously things like Birdemic, The Room, people. When you try to make a movie like that, it's it's impossible to try to make a movie like that. The reason why these films, especially when they first come out, really do have genuine appeal, and it's not people just uh, liking it to be cool. Maybe at a certain point it becomes that, but at start, it's because they put everything they could possibly put into the movie. Like Birdemic is James actually believing that this is something that's a masterpiece, and definitely with Tommy Wiseau, right? Like, we've seen that, and so there's something so beautiful to me about people putting themselves into a movie, whatever 
the result. And it just happens that it's hilarious in so many ways, you know? Uh, but again, if you set out to make that, then that's the total opposite to me of what movies are. If you set up, I'm going to make a movie that's so terrible, people are going to think it's funny. It's just done. It's already dead on arrival. Like, you can just see through that. So I, I, I don't know if you, you agree, but I, I just feel like you can tell when somebody's setting out to make something stupid. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I think when you see these truly out-of-left-field auteurs, yeah. that's, you can feel their honesty. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Like Ed Wood. I there's, mean, a, you know, there's, a, there's an earnestness, there's a genuine nature to what they're doing that often can sort of sometimes lead to an intentional comedy, but but it's it's you feel it. You can feel that their heart is in it. Yeah, they're joyful. Yeah. yeah, and he's the master of the romantic thriller. I mean, imagine labeling yourself. I am the master of the romantic thriller, and that is trademarked. By the way, he actually paid for the trademark. So you're like, wow, that means you really believe you're the master. Anyway, I don't think Birdemic's on anyone's list, but uh, you know, it's still might be, yeah. <laughs> might be. It's still notable. Um, I was going to uh, just quickly uh, mention a couple that uh, I already ran up by you. Uh, to make sure they weren't on your list. These are just some of the ones that I remembered uh, that we've already gone into, uh, especially uh, if you want to, if you love this episode and you want to go back into our catalog of an episode that's probably the closest in relevance, it'd probably be our ripoffs episode with Steven Scarlatt, a lot of those sure. kind of films, but uh, some key movies that, like, if you asked me to define Bonkers with one movie right now, uh, probably my first choice would be God Told Me To, because it's, it's a, a, it's a movie that totally shifts in its tone and where it goes, but it goes somewhere so incredible and Absolutely mind-melting. Uh, so God told me to. Uh, White of the Eye was a big one for me for years. Abby, Possession, Extro, Sunny Boy, The Devil's Honey, mm-hmm. uh, Julie Darling, uh, Ten to Midnight, uh, The Visitor, which is my other probably number one for that kind of thing, uh, Bad Boy Bubby, which is incredible, Night of a Thousand Cats, The Pit, Deadly Prey, Blood Rage, and Pieces. Wow. We that's talked about all those We've talked about a lot more, but these were ones that like came into my mind. Like, Just know <laughs> none of those are going to probably come up on these lists, and they are all ones I, I – you know, if you haven't seen them, these are truly entertaining that, uh, great a, movies. That's a great list. I kind of encourage everyone to just go watch those. Yeah, that could – Instead, <laughs> instead exactly, of listening to this. That could, exactly. <laughs> that could be a month of programming at a great theater, and you would be totally entertained. But yeah, so – Oh, Manitou. Oh, the Manitou, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's one movie coming out that I have a feeling – like the movie I most want to see this year is Mandy. Like, you know, mm. it's like seeing what, what Panos Cosmatos, and who we've obviously talked about Beyond the Black Rainbow, which definitely has the mind-melting quality, midnight quality, but it's like with Nick Cage, you're like, what? I'm, I'm avoiding trailers, so I'm like, I have no idea what to expect, but give it to me now. You should see the trailer. Because really? it doesn't really, I don't feel like it gives away that uh, much. Maybe I'll, I'll do, you, do you watch trailers? I do watch trailers. Okay, yeah. The Mandy trailer is great. Okay. Yeah. Panos can do absolutely no wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, that's I, I can't a, That's wait definitely a movie that you put me onto, too, is Beyond the Black Rainbow. And I adore that movie, and I think he's an incredible filmmaker, so I can't wait for Mandy. Like, he's one of my favorite voices out there. Like, he's he's something else. I, I agree. Think. I think he's one of the funniest filmmakers. Yeah. I think that's what people don't see in yeah, Beyond the Black Rainbow, I think but that movie is just yeah. a fucking laugh riot. <laughs> I can see why you wouldn't the first viewing, though, because the tone, you're, you're just like, what is this? You know? Because it is tonally, it's so interesting and just so beautiful. That was a long time between films, though, right? That's good, what, seven years or so? Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, so that's cool, though. You know? But I feel like it's appropriate that we're talking about all these brain melters because to set this up for people not here uh, in the studio with us, it's been incredibly hot uh-huh, uh, in true. Los Angeles the past few days, and I feel like we have all turned into a puddle of uh, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, opening in theaters right now is Sorry to Bother You. 
which is uh, fucking out of control. I got to see it. I, the, I um, did see that trailer, and I was couldn't even – it looked incredible, the visuals and the way – I couldn't even tell what it was. That's a trailer. Yeah. It's fantastic trailer. Yeah. It's very well made. But does not show you that the movie is weird. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> because it gets wild. Huh. Nice. And uh, I highly recommend it. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. You should definitely make that an outing. Uh, and I'll, I'll recommend one short film, just because we're doing five films, but this is a short film that I cannot recommend high enough for bonkers. And I, I, I'm sure you will have seen this. Uh, when we did, we're doing a thing on Street Trash way back when at Jump Cut, and the producer of that had produced a short that they had hoped to make into a feature called Swirly. So talking about the heat of our city, Swirly's the most amazing. I mean, if I could green light, if I had all the money in the world, <laughs> I'm green lighting that as my first film. If uh, if Henan Lauder said, I need one more idea, I would would say do this but it's um what is his name uh, james lawrence from straight trash from frankenhooker is the lead and directed it it's 17 minutes it was never on youtube in a good version till now it's a pretty good version david caruso's also in it which is incredible as the roommate and swirly <laughs> is basically a giant ice cream cone who lives in a house the opening scene is him calling for a prostitute uh he then like hooks up with her and she has problems like and tells him to take off his stupid mask he's like i think your ceiling's leaking oh Oh, uh, no, that's, that's probably me. You? Look, cut this shit, all right? I mean, why don't you take that silly mask off or whatever the hell it is you're wearing on your head? I'm not wearing anything on my head. What do you mean you're not wearing anything on your head? I'm Mr. Softy. I'm ice cream. Try me. I'm delicious. And you're just like, what the fuck is this thing? And this was, and then David Caruso comes home and gives him a pep talk and says, man, you got to get over this. And by the end of it, he's like thinking about committing suicide in the bathtub in hot water. I mean, this is something that needs to be seen to be believed. And it was a pitch to make it into a feature. And it's one of those, you know, that the producer Street Trash would have made. And it's just like, oh, I wish. This is like 2000, I think. Uh, but the short, so as a primer to this episode, my recommendation is watch that 15 minutes. You'll get tons of joy. Uh, it's genuinely funny and, and like, you know, more things like that in movies, you know? Give me give me a guy as a giant soft serve. Uh, so Swirly, that's All my right. first first wreck before we get into it. That's a good lead. Uh, you want to let our, yeah, our guest our lead guest this charge? What, what, uh, what I think it? that you were going to say the first movie, and I was going to just say that uh, <laughs> oh, then it's I my also thing. picked that. <laughs> oh, that's right. You had a skit, a skit plan? <laughs> um, so you want me to go first, Phil? Sure. All right. <laughs> I will go first. Gotcha. I don't think this is a movie that you would have picked. I'm, I'm not going to believe. Not because, no, actually, you could easily have picked it, but I feel like you'd pick something different than this. Um, I'm gonna Fuck, s- I picked that one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Okay. I'm going to start. It's not, it's bonkers to me that this is a movie, but it's not bonkers in the way that you describe bonkers. Yeah. Um, it's a movie called Hello Down There. It's from 1969. It looks like a, a large onion. It's a house, a completely self sufficient underwater house. A house for what? Flounders? The house has to be tested? Is there something wrong with it? It's going to fall down? The family has to be tested. Their reactions to the modern conveniences. Where is this house? It's built on a foundation of solid rock, about 90 feet. About 90 feet what? Underwater. Water? I don't like the neighborhood. You want me to act like a fish? All right, I will. 
a cold fish. Glub, glub. And uh, it has Tony Randall, Janet Lee, Richard Dreyfus, Roddy McDowell, Charlotte Ray. Mm, Basically, okay. let, me, let me just preface by saying when I was a kid, there was a book in the library that I used to check out over and over, and it, I will never be able to find what it was. But it basically, it was about, I think it was probably written in the 1960s, and it was about living underwater. It was about, you know, this is where we're going. You know, some would say we're going to the moon. This, uh, nice. this book posited that we were going to live underwater. And it had some model home underwater, like where the, the, the nuclear family was going to exist. Was that show Man from Atlantis? Remember that old TV oh, show? Oh, yeah. It was all that With Patrick stuff, yeah. Duffy, uh-huh. yeah. That's a good show. Yeah, no, this is – but so I was obsessed with this idea. I, was, I wanted to be a marine biologist, so underwater things were my everything. So I always thought, well, it's just going to happen at some point, and then, of course, we never really went there. But this movie is part of that, so it's like basically Tony Randall is a – he's like – Kind of like an architect, I guess. I'm trying to think. But he's basically made this underwater model home. It's 90 feet under the surface of the ocean. He's made it for this company that's run by Jim Backus. And he basically, Jim Backus, he goes to show him the the place. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Like, (laughs) nobody's going to live here. This is this is a total nightmare. You've wasted all my money. So Tony Randall's like, well, what if I could prove that a family can live here? I'll have my family live here for 30 days. How about that? And he's like, all right, whatever. That's fine. So he brings his family, his wife, Janet Lee, and their kids, who I don't know those actors, but basically they're in a band with a lead singer played by a young Richard Dreyfus. Oh, wow. And the band comes along and the band lives underwater with them. So it's very like, you know, modern appliances based on 1969 technology and some really ridiculous songs sung by this band and a really crazy scene with Roddy McDowell as a record executive. Out of sight. I think it is out of sight. Cool it! Just wait one minute. Let us see if it has turned on the brain machine. I would certainly advise that, Mr. Ashbury. After all, my computer analyzed and selected your last ten hits. Oh, Doc, now you know that I flip over every teensy tube in your gassy little think tank. Dr. Wells has a Ph.D. in computer analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's a dingling. What seems to be the hang-up, Doc? Stuck. (laughs) What's it say? We make it. What does it say? What does it say? This musical selection correlates with the vibratory resonance index of 0.95. Meaning? Meaning? Point nine five affirmative. Hey! Cool it! Okay, Doc, what's for the other five points? Negative. That's a bummer. Where does it say that? Right there. It's it's just such a weird movie that to me I've always been really amused by it. That I just don't. There's no way it would ever get made now, and it's an unusual cast and just an unusual premise. Are there any effects like to show the house underwater? Do they actually? I mean, they have a set that uh-huh. basically has like a, a big hole in it, and these dolphins and seals talk to them. Oh wow! Come up into the little hole, and it's so it's kind of like a domestic, you know, comedy. But 
with this underwater setting. I do not know this movie. It's weird. I it's, have not seen this. Yeah, okay. And I was looking at the picture of your children. It's like one I haven't seen before. So yeah, it's it's just one of those weird movies <laughs> from, and it's it looks like. Um, Oh, no, Merv Griffin's in it. I forgot to mention him. Um, anyway. Just to it, seal the deal. Is yeah. it available on home video? Or? It's It got a DVD release. I think it might be out of print, but you can, for those that are interested, you could rent it on Amazon. It's available to stream in high def. I have it through Vudu. So it's available, definitely. All right. It's just weird. To me, it's just weird. To see Richard Dreyfuss sing these songs, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre film. And what was the title again? Hello Down There. Jackie in the in the in the control room over here yeah. wants us to repeat the title at the end of each uh, oh, yeah. film because that is her her complaint every we've, week. That, we've gotten, that has that has probably we've been in both that. shows that we've I'm on. I, I hear that all the time, and it's he's very been hard trying. To he's been trying, and I suck. No, it's hard. It's a very hard thing to remember. I don't I, you know because you just start talking, and then you. No, it's true because it know. does. I do think about this when you're listening to a show. You start to check in on the movie once you start to hear the description of it. So you don't hear the title. You're just like, what is it? Oh, Oh, that sounds interesting. And then by then, you don't, you don't, they're not going to mention it again. And people so. always say they're driving or something. So yeah. we're going to make Jackie have an accident. <laughs> right, so we apologize. We will try try better. So that's my <laughs> that's my first movie. Okay, Bonkers One. It's weird. I'm letting you go for next. <laughs> we're going to go this way? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so my first pick is uh, what we were talking about earlier, about pure unfettered access into filmmakers mind oh i love that and uh one of them i'm gonna i have a couple today but is a 2010 movie called acts of violence okay not to be confused with the brand new bruce willis movie where were you today i was at work flynn what's wrong with you Cashier down at Joe's is missing. Son, what can I do for you? Can I tell you something? You promise you won't tell anyone? I lied to my wife. I killed three men. You totally lost your mind. You have to stop killing. You have to turn yourself in. bad news this has never been available on a home video it played for a week at four theaters here in los angeles uh-huh. back in 2010 it's one that i would call a true beverly center special uh beverly <laughs> center, yeah. one of the you know the she she rich <laughs> people malls here in uh, la uh had a movie theater all throughout the 80s and 90s yeah. up until about 2010 when uh, it was really on hard times and uh, they were just taking lots of private rentals of small vanity projects. Yeah, right when I got here, which is about 2010, it, it was there. And then next time I went in there, it was gone. So I, I kind of remember just when it died. Yeah. My wife and I saw Southland Tales there just before they closed. Oh, well. well, no, wait, that was 2006. Never mind. It must have been years before they closed. Yeah, I saw Southland Tales there as well. In fact, I, mean, I saw it because... It getting real, real wild. Somehow... That was before Twitter, I think, but somehow I heard about it, again, through you. 
I mean, I, I was going to see it anyway because it was Richard Kelly, but I think you'd mentioned the Beverly Center, and that was the only place it was playing that I could find at the time, and it was an almost empty theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one was wild. But so, Acts of Violence. Acts of Violence. I'm going to give you the okay. rundown of the plot. Okay. <laughs> A mild-mannered doctor, which is played by writer, director, producer, star, Ill Lim, tries to maintain the mundane details of his normal life while seeking retribution on the vicious gang that savagely attacked his beautiful wife, played by Eyes Wide Shut's Lily Sobieski, oh. uh, who was one of Ill Lim's real-life hapkido pupils. So <laughs> Hap Ill Lim was also a martial arts oh. instructor. Uh-huh. I, I kind of okay. left that out. It's a... Uh, the key to this understanding this whole thing. Uh, so he cracks skulls while unloading groceries, tortures creeps on his way to the office, and impales a man while stopping at the corner store to pick up toilet paper. <laughs> and it's made very clear that he's picking up toilet paper. Yeah. He says it many, many times. <laughs> I'm just going to get some. He, like, li- he literally walks out of the, the bathroom at his house, out the front door, saying, I got to go get toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> but Detective Mike who's played by Tom Hanks's look-alike younger brother, Jim. Oh, wow. If you didn't know, uh, Tom Hanks has a look-alike younger brother named Jim. I don't Jim. think I did. Uh, as he slowly circles in on the crime fighter, our rogue Avenger finds solace not with his blood-stained fists, but through peaceful contemplation with the mysterious priest, played by Hellboy's Ron Perlman. Whoa. So we got martial arts revenge pick meets mumbo-jumbo Christian morality tale. <laughs> But told by a Korean-American first-time filmmaker. Uh-huh. So the world really didn't know what hit them with this brutal mix of uh, violent screwball comedy and marital drama. Uh, was it a rape-revenge fantasy, a pitch-black put-on, or a total joke? Does it matter even if the filmmaker can't decide? <laughs> yeah, acts of violence is pretty jaw-dropping stuff. A vanity project disaster piece filled with stilted performances and more than a handful of questionable decisions. But Illim's charm shines through and his athletic abilities are pretty impressive. <laughs> he's, he's apparently a pretty popular instructor here in Los Angeles, and you can see, his, see why. His physical prowess is beyond reproach. Dude can huh. do like splits like way better than like JCVD. Dude's a maniac. So I wonder if the person who financed it was one of his students or something. Uh, well, I think uh, he's the one who financed <laughs> it. Okay. Right. Um, but while most people are going to find this a mess, I, I think that fans of Oddball Auteurs are going to really dig it. Huh. But, that I've not heard of. It is like ultra-violent... It, this is kind of when, like, the Saw films were really popular. Yeah. So uh-huh. there's some, like, torture porn, like, segues. Uh-huh. And then there are parts where it really doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> um, but it's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jackie and I saw it at a crowded screening at the Beverly Center where, of course, he was there. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Informal Q&A. Yes. Um, and I loved it so much that I actually played it at the New Beverly and had him out for a Q&A. And uh, he is really cool. He's really into religion. He's really into martial arts. But he's got a really, like, a pitch black sense of humor. So if you just saw this movie, you might think it was inept. Yeah. But you realize, talking to him, that he's just really sly and funny. Yeah. It's a wild one. Okay. So we probably can't see it, though, you don't think? Yeah, I picked it because I knew no one would watch it. (laughs) No one could fact check me. All right, we're going to have to find a way to track. I bet if we write to the guy, he'll send us a copy. He doesn't sell it through any... No, he's got a 35-millimeter film print of it, but uh, I don't think it's ever even been digitized. Wow, that's Uh, crazy. That's sad. 
I How know. does that happen with people and when you have Especially, spent all that on a movie? I mean, that's 2010, but like right now, it doesn't feel like, I, I don't know, I guess some movies never make it, but. And I saw those Lily fans. Yeah. <laughs> I think, talking to him, one of the reasons why it hasn't found a wider distribution is because I don't think Lily Sobieski or her people were quite satisfied with the way the movie oh, turned out. That's too bad. They're lost. Because um, uh, <laughs> there's a really graphic, unpleasant, like, uh, rape scene with her. Oh. Um, I, I, that's always amazing to me. Like, we don't like how that turned out. It's like, it's in the pages, <laughs> and she shot the scene. And clearly, you wouldn't, you know, if, if that's in a script, you're going to know what you're getting. So, come on. Okay. Well, who knows? Interesting. Well, I've, I've tried to get uh, people to put it out, but Have I you think... tried to screen it, the 35? Well, you uh, did I once. It, I played it at the New Beverly, and okay. uh, one time I got it to play at Cinefamily before I was like programming Midnight's there. Wow, yeah. you programmed it twice. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of this. This one. is great. I, I really wanted to. I have heard you talk about this one, and I've wanted to see it for years okay. because of. I'm hoping that talking about it here, maybe some adventurous uh, home video label will reach out yeah. and I can give the contact info and uh, hopefully they can sort it out. Last time I talked to Ill, he said that he and his other producers were still planning on putting it out in more theaters. Okay. Okay. You hear that code red bill? It's brulee time. Yes. Break it out. Yes. <laughs> maybe this could happen. I, I hope so. All right. Uh, well, my first one is one that uh, I think almost anyone who's into these kind of movies will have seen. But somehow I hadn't. So this is my only new discovery for this week. Uh, And I'd heard, basically, it's an Andy Sedaris film. But the thing is, I was not a big fan. This is going to, might be shocking. Uh, We watched Malibu Express together. Uh, Me and you, right? No. Oh, what's the Sybil Danning one? Yeah, we did. Malibu Express? No. Is it going to be Hard Ticket to Hawaii? Yes. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. It has it all. The awesome, pristine beauty of the land. The warm caress of perfect beaches. The tantalizing wetness of the Blue Pacific. Hawaii. It's a great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to die there. Four of America's finest ready and willing to pay the price for paradise. They're undercover, but not under-equipped. On this mission, there's hard flying, hard fighting. Agents are everywhere. Have no mercy. Kill them all. This ain't no hula. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. Rated R. <laughs> yes, I'm getting there. Okay, I'm just so excited. <laughs> okay. I was not the biggest fan of that, and I'd, I'd always read about Sedaris, and just for whatever I, – I, again, sometimes I have these gaps like coming from New Zealand where those films, I bet, just didn't even get released there because he, you know, he didn't have the marketing probably to push to certain uh, foreign territories. Because who cares about New Zealand anyway? Uh, I don't know. Andy <laughs> Sarah, probably not. <laughs> Obviously, Brian Yesma. Um, <laughs> his films got there. Society was there. But uh, – oh, Society should be on this list, sorry. Uh, Sedaris uh, – so we watched Malibu Express, and I liked it. But there was something about it that I was like, yeah, that's okay. I found it a little – it just didn't didn't get me excited. I uh, Just like Heavenly Body, Bodies, how I got that off Turner Classics, Heavenly uh, – Hard Ticket Hawaii about four months ago was played. And I recorded it and I saved it for a week ago because I knew eventually this day would come. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot because I know a lot of people love this one. Uh, 
and it's utterly brilliant. Like, this is one of the funniest. I, I mean, I was laughing from start to end, and there's a couple moments in this movie where it, the gags are just, like, genius, and, like, there's some one-liners in this that are just truly amazing. So I know I'm coming to this late. Don't think I'm uh, saying that I discovered this because I know a lot of our friends who listen. But in case somebody hasn't, that's why I wanted to bring it up, to make sure that people uh, really looked out for hard to – and it's not the easiest to find, right? Like, this – these don't have a Blu-ray release. I think there's only like DV, a DVD set. There's definitely a DVD of set. Of some yeah, kind. There's a couple uh, ways Lethal to get Ladies it. sets and yeah. uh, various Andy Serra stuff. I don't stuff. know why they haven't done it on Blu-ray. But um, anyway. He's starting to get that. Kino put out seven, so maybe they'll put out uh, some Yeah, I think uh, Hard Ticket Twice is owned by Arlene Sedaris. Okay. And I think that. There you go. Seven is not. Uh, this is from <laughs> Molokai Cops. <laughs> it's still, it gives me chills. Did they, the, the revenge film. So basically, uh, it, it starts with uh, two uh, blonde, busty uh, ladies who are also uh, undercover drug enforcement agents, I guess. Or they work for a, a group called, uh, I guess, the group or something like that. It's some mysterious uh, espionage group. Uh, and there's there's a, a drug kingpin who uses a, uh, what is, well, now it'd be a drone, but back then it's just a remote control helicopter that they put crystals uh, into and like drive to the mainland, uh, and then some. Their people are meant to find it, but unfortunately, the two girls discover this, and uh, suddenly they're embroiled in a uh, you know drug war slash uh, smuggling kingpin. But before that, they're meant to take a charter a helicopter uh, to Hawaii from I guess America. I, I don't even remember where it, it starts. It all makes sense in the movie. In the movie, right? it all makes sense. But there's all these <laughs> crates and. <laughs> You're just watching this very normal, and this is where things are where that bonkers qualities come from because you're watching a film that's one kind of movie, which is kind of a TNA comedy, and then suddenly people are loading. And the, the opening credits are brilliant; like they print every single one of the key names and titles on shipping documents, labels on boxes. Like it's actually done like a Wes Anderson film, so it's not accidentally smart. It's actually really well integrated. And then, um, but then you know they're moving all these boxes, and then they're lo- loading up the things they have to take to Hawaii. And then there's this uh, thing that has a little sign has fallen off this one thing that it was meant to say toxic snake beware but they had fallen off so they unfortunately get the toxic snake who looks like this evil uh, muppet puppet like but like really you know pretty good for what the film is but also ridiculous in the context of the movie uh that ends up being put in there uh i think it's a radioactive snake to be precise uh and it's put they take it with them they have no idea it's radioactive they drop some young lovers off on the mainland of hawaii and then they just hang out that's one (laughs) storyline another storyline has to uh what ron moss who's just amazing in this film and his uh kung fu kind of trainer buddy uh who are also partners and some sort of agents uh, for the same agency hanging out practicing uh martial arts uh i guess in america before uh heading or heading to hawaii which is also america um and at some point the, the you know these these people all come together to kind of fight the bad guys. Uh, but within that, there are, there's there's a guy. Like when you find your spirit animal, the person you want to be your mentor in life, you're blessed. I found that in this movie. His name's Shades. He just wears shades and plays Frisbee all day. <laughs> oh, but he plays okay. Frisbee while also holding his Uzi. And so there's just some beach girl who every day he plays Frisbee with her, and he's doing it the whole time, holding this Uzi. And I'm like, I oh, that kind of control. I wish I had that kind of control in my life to hold an Uzi and play Frisbee with a hot girl at the beach. And uh, and I, I love that becomes like his weakness. It's like every day this guy shades, he plays with her. We're going to exploit that. <laughs> so that's part of their mission is to get him. He's one of the bad guys. There's an incredible uh, scene towards the end with a, with a Frisbee revenge gag that is just, I won't ruin it for you because it's just an incredible move that to get that guy. Um, but one man's dream is another man's lunch. 
is a line in this movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, but it's it's got some. But if you go on YouTube, obviously I'd want you to watch this movie first. But one of the key scenes that everyone always talks about is there's a skater character uh, who has a blow up doll. And uh, those two things already would give this a bonkers quality. One of our uh, Iran Moss's character uh, is a really bad shot and can't shoot anything straight with a gun. He needs to use a rocket launcher. He's like, I'm a, I can only hit things with a rocket launcher. <laughs> so when he takes his rocket launcher to get the skateboarder, it's definitely one of the great death scenes in the history of movies, I'd say. Would that be correct, you think? It's classic. It's total classic <laughs> on its own. Uh, and just there's something just really fun and bonkers. And what's cool about it is way before Marvel and Sidaris, I think, set the template for them, I'm going to guess. <laughs> is he was creating his world. And there's a sequence in this that I will play the clip from where the two girls walk into a room and she, and one of them goes, ah, oh, you've got a poster for Malibu Express. And then they reference that the guy in Malibu Express was also like them. He was one of the people working for the agency but became an actor. What? And so suddenly the Sedaris world is like, whoa. I don't believe it. You have another spy movie poster and in German yet? Yeah, it's a real killer, isn't it? Taryn, you have a Malibu Express poster hanging over your bed. The store threw it in for free. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. We don't hear much from Cody anymore since he left the agency to become an actor. Well, he and Rowdy are cousins, right? Yeah. They're both adorable, but just a little bit flaky, you know? So tell me the truth, Don, about Rowdy. How's his stuff? Great. He's got four inches. Four inches? That's not so hot. Yes, it is. I measured him from the ground up. <laughs> Suddenly, this whole thing took shape, and I'm like, that was amazing. A shameless plug that was world-building truly got me. Uh, but there's just saying every time people say something about Molokai cops and, like, revenge for these Molokai cops who get killed in the opening scene, uh, it's really something special. And there are so many lines to be celebrated in this movie. Uh, this is where it's just nice when you find that movie that opened the joy of that filmmaker's work. Now I would be able to dip back into the other films and, you know, probably discover why people have been such big Sedaris fans, you know. So if, like me, you haven't had that access. And and sorry, by the way, the last 10 minutes is, like, it's all on snake kind of chaos movie. Like, once they <laughs> dispatch of the gangster part of the storyline, it becomes, like, crazy monster movie in the last, like, few minutes. So do not miss this one. I You know, get the Sedaris box kit if you need Hard to. Hard ticket to Hard ticket to Hawaii, and you're a fan. Yes, absolutely. Do you, okay, so let me ask, because when did you first see that film? Do you remember? Mm, early 2000s on uh, home video. Just discovered because you heard people like other cinema, crazy just, people? Just because, you know, voracious appetite for yeah, movies, yeah, for so you just stuff. put stuff in. If it's bad, you take it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you did it blind, <laughs> like you didn't know what it was. Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the best awesome. feeling. Yeah, that's the greatest. <laughs> anyway, I loved it, and so that was a, that was my, my discovery for the week. Excellent. I'm glad you got one in. All right, I am going to go George Kennedy. For my next one, a little movie called Demon Warp from 1988. The special effects wizards that brought you From Beyond and Ghoulies have created another wild trip into terror. Demon Warp, a horrifying break between ancient fear and future shock. Starring Academy Award winner George Kennedy, Demon Warp, a transmutation into terror. Ghost stories have always been part of a campout. I've seen weird shapes moving around here in the nighttime. These often grisly tales. Hey, don't you guys know where we are, huh? This is demon with animals. Stay away Are a figment of the storyteller's imagination. Yeah, you know, this is where those people were attacked. At least most of them are. Demon Warp. In the wilds of Demonwood. There's a thing 
out here. There exists an ancient evil. It shows that people have been reporting weird and strange things up here for nearly 100 years. An evil from another universe. After being stranded for more than a century, our Lord is ready to return to the glory of heaven. An evil that cannot be destroyed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it took my little girl. I wasn't prepared to stop it then, but stop it now. My uncle came up here to check it out. I mean, just to check it out a couple of weeks ago. Find anything? He never came back. We're gonna die, aren't we, Jack? This place is dangerous. Look what I got for you! The dimension known as Demon Warp isn't hard to find. You made it. You're living me. I'm dead. But once you become lost in its twisting realities, you will never find your way back. Demon Warp. I'm a big fan. Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm not surprised. It's a Bigfoot movie. Oh. Phil is a big Bigfoot, Bigfoot movie guy. Also. I think. I look like Bigfoot, so. <laughs> He's a Bigfoot guy. <laughs> you put me on to Shriek of the Mutilated. Probably Night of the Demon 2. I think both of those. Definitely Shriek of the Mutilated. Because you have, don't you have like a poster of that or something? I have a well, phone you, print of that one. Oh, that, oh, that would be it. I'm sure you've shown it. That's actually why I probably have heard of that. But anyway, uh, I don't think I heard of Demon Warp from you, but I might have. This one is pretty nuts. It opens with George Kennedy and his daughter going to this cabin in the middle of the woods. They're having a nice little moment, and suddenly this Bigfoot breaks in and attacks them and drags the daughter away and cut to like a group of uh, young people riding in a car, as you're used to seeing in a lot of slasher movies, and they're coming out to that same cabin, and uh, they're going to have a nice weekend, but one of the guys actually has an ulterior motive, and that is that he is trying to hunt the Bigfoot that has been known to be in the area but so it's so this this weird bigfoot thing but then and it's got bobby no billy billy jacoby sorry billy jacoby from just one of the guys and um what's the other one that i like him in can you can you think of other billy jacoby movies off the top of your head yeah, demon warp <laughs> thank you Bill, very much don't you have the poster of that <laughs> very nice um so anyway, uh, he's a great little extra to have in the movie. But on top of that, it becomes something a little more, a little more insane in the last 20 minutes. Um, I don't know how much to give away. I don't want to give away too much. I want to see this, so don't give away too okay, much. Okay, I, I won't give away anything else. But it definitely has a last act that is a real barn burner and kind of makes you go, what? Huh. And it's one of those. But George Kennedy's not in the movie enough, unfortunately. He's only in it a little bit. And, so it's 88? Uh, 88, yeah. So that's, yeah, like kind of late George Kennedy stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. But but he's very good. Yeah, but that Bigfoot genre is really good. So if you haven't seen Shriek of the Mutilated, uh-huh. that also has a wild third act. Okay. Almost put it on my list. And uh Night of the Demon, which Brian also mentioned, features Bigfoot ripping a guy's dick off. Have you not seen Night wow, of the Demon? No, oh, this is yeah, like now I feel like I've that's been a Code Red Bill on. special. Code Red. Put Who that put this out. one out? Uh, this one's not the the one trick of this one is it's not really available except VHS. As far as I maybe there's a DVD. So it might be on YouTube. Do you know the, a DVD? There's, I don't think there's any DVD. I think it's a VHS only. It might be owned by Lionsgate. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It's from that company I used to love when I was a kid, Vidmark Entertainment. Yeah. But yeah, I, so this one I I think I found maybe like a bootleg somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, I there I had I had it on VHS a long time ago, but 
It's not on YouTube right now or anything, so it might take some some looking, but it's worth tracking down for sure. How'd you see it? I think I saw it originally on VHS. Do you have a VCR, Elric? I do. Well, you can borrow my tape. Awesome. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's that that last act is is well worth the price of admission all okay. told. Being borrowing your VHS. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we are uh, going back to 2018. I know we talked about Pop Whoa, of the movie. 2018, we're going back there. <laughs> yes, uh, we talked about Pop of the movie. Um, another wild adventure this year was Death House. Um, I'm not sure if either of you saw that, hmm. but it played in one. I feel like there's a lot of movies Van called Nuys. Death House, so it's a very generic title, but uh-huh. it's being billed as the Expendables of horror. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With Kano, and, everyone's in it, right? Yeah, like okay. everybody's in it for like three seconds, yeah, and yeah. it's got some sort of weird backstory about. Yeah. virtual reality and like uh, Gunnar Hansen's in it but uh-huh. they clearly just used footage from like a DVD extra <laughs> like uh, they put him on a screen <laughs> and he's like him. second build or something yeah. but the craziest movie of the year uh-huh. is Surfer Teen Confronts Fear wait you, is that the whole title? yes but you may not have heard the whole title <laughs> it's actually Surfer and then the copyright logo Teen Confronts Fear huh. here I'll show you my notes it says Surfer Copyright logo, <laughs> Teen Confronts Fear. And, and you highlighted it. I did, because I wanted to make sure that... We noticed. Exactly. <laughs> I have been a surfer since even before I can remember. One day, I rode one of the biggest waves and wiped out on it. I never knew there was such a fear. Um, but this is pure unfiltered insanity it is not for humanity (laughs) Um, so douglas burke is the writer director producer soundtrack composer and the star wow um here's the key he is not a filmmaker (laughs) he is actually a physics professor at usc Oh, wow. um, and he decided to not talk to any of the USC <laughs> film right. people. Long history. Yeah. And decided to spend over 12 years making this passion project. Oh, wow. Um, which stars him and his son. His son, Sage, is now a teenager, but when he started, he was oh, crazy. five or six. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, his son surfs. And I think the impetus of, the, of creating this and sharing it with a larger audience was he thought that his home movies were just incredibly engrossing hmm. of, uh, of this child surfing. Yeah. So the plot of it is a young surfer, Sage Burke, is crippled by fear after wiping out on a big wave, but he's unable to ignore the mystical pull of the ocean. And one day while fishing from the pier, a mysterious man washes ashore, which turns out to be the spirit of his dead father, played by his real father, Douglas Burke. (laughs) Or as uh, his character says in the movie, I'm made from squid and electricity. (laughs) Wow. Um, It is a movie that only an extreme religious freak, who's also a physics professor, (laughs) could make. So that's a cocktail. It is probably a brutal 120 minutes long. Ooh. Oh, but there's maybe four scenes in the movie, <laughs> including the the beginning is a 30 minute scene which is shot on the beach, <laughs> just like a single shot oh my of like the dad talking to the kid, just giving like a 30 minute monologue. <laughs> oh shit! Wow. Including like a 12 minute uninterrupted take where there's no cuts or edits. And it's just him screaming biblical passages, 
him talking about uh, you know ocean like mechanics. Um, <laughs> then it cuts to a dead whale that's on the beach, and he's screaming about dead whales. It is unlike anything you have ever seen in your life. Wow. And every single word out of Douglas Burke's mouth is pure terror <laughs> for his son, who's yeah. just standing there looking mortally embarrassed. Clearly, his friends yeah. are probably out in the surf wondering what yeah. their buddy Sage was doing over here with some weird fucking dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it is crazy. Um, and that was in theaters. You, I remember seeing you standing next to a poster wondering, oh, was, I, for, for some reason, thought it was Soul Surfer or something. I don't know what, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so this actually played uh, the director, producer, star, soundtrack composer. Physicist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he four-walled the Lemley Music Hall, which is like yeah. the, the new Beverly Center hub for just truly treasured yeah. four walls. Um, <laughs> and he did it, and I, I talked to him about this, yeah. uh, because he honestly believes that it has Oscar Oh boy. You know, potential. So yeah. he wanted to qualify for the Oscar. So he did everything that he had to do. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see that happening. <laughs> Though when I did meet him, uh, he told me that the Hollywood Foreign Press had celebrated him and took him out and had a, a party on his behalf because they loved the movie so much. So maybe it'll have some uh, hmm. Golden Globe uh, potential. Wow. wow. So that part's true, huh? Maybe, yeah. maybe um, he'll get a home video release for this one. Yeah, but... Uh, so th- this played in theater, but the way we found it, Jackie and I, yeah. we went and saw Mom and Dad, the new Nicolas Cage, Selma yeah. Blair movie. Which did you like that? I did. I liked it I really a bit. liked it. I, I really enjoyed it's... it. I got some shit on Shockwaves because Ryan was poo-pooing it. I didn't talk to you about it. I said it's a super fun movie. I liked it, too. Yeah. Watched it with the family. Yeah. Um, but we saw it also at the music hall, and the trailer played beforehand. Oh. Uh, in the trailer for Surfer, if you haven't seen it, uh, please go to surfer-movie.com and watch it because it is the single best two and a half minutes you'll see all year. Um, but it ruined mom and dad for me uh, yeah. <laughs> because like all I could do is think about it. <laughs> Fantasize. And yeah. even with Jackie and the friend that we were with, yeah. Amy, shout out Amy. Um, <laughs> I don't talk during movies, but like we were buzzing about it throughout the whole yeah. time. Credits come up for mom and dad and credits. Everybody that's in the auditorium looks at each other in bonds. And it was like, what is that movie called? <laughs> trying to figure out what the website oh, wow. was, trying to get it all down. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's, it's good. <laughs> but there's like military intrigue later including uh like the kid has to raise money to overcome his fear he has to raise money to go on a worldwide surfing trip oh. to overcome his fear of surfing huh. um so he goes to a secret government facility in west hollywood which is like across the street from a 7-eleven <laughs> which gets lots of play um <laughs> yeah it's unlike anything i've ever seen Wow. Uh, and do you, do you think that that will get a do you, like a self-release? Do you think that he's that invested he might put this thing out? Well, it took him 12 years to make it, and he followed through. <laughs> uh-huh. So I can only imagine that someday it will hopefully get. I have a uh, feeling we probably release. have some USC film students who listen to this. I know I've, I've heard from some people on Shockwaves from that. So I, if you are, you should really go harass this guy at your school and see if you can get this, uh, get a copy of this. Cause, One last thing I'll point yeah. out, though, is if you look at the Rate My Professors website, uh-huh. you can <laughs> actually look him up. Uh-huh. He is uh, not well rated. <laughs> Um, wow, you're outing him. a better filmmaker than a teacher? <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, the most common things were there were complaints that his lectures <laughs> you took notes. are just rambles and make absolutely <laughs> no sense. So I think he oh, brought man. all of his skills to the to screen. The movie. 
There we go. He has incoherent rambles. That's awesome. Wow. Um, Jackie, what do you think? She says it was fantastic. We'll right. insert some Surfer. comments from her at the end. Copyright logo. Teen confronts fear. And it was so good wow. that all my friends afterwards actually got it on Letterboxd, got it on IMDb, because it had none of that. <laughs> that sounds like a very special movie. I've got so much I need to see. Well, that one, I, I just had a feeling you're on something special, because initially, it <clears> took a while. I remember seeing a post of you next to a poster looking hopeful, and then I feel like it was a couple months later that you had actually seen the movie. So I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, what, what is this movie? And why is it taking so long? Okay, I'm excited. Down. All right. Um, my next one is actually just a movie I absolutely love uh, and hasn't ha- haven't had a place to discuss yet. And it's truly bonkers in all the best ways. Uh, it's a Japanese film by the director uh, Yasuro Masamura from 1969, and it is Blind Beast. <laughs> And a couple of his movies came out, uh, you know, kind of more mainstream about, I think it was about eight years ago. This and a movie called Manji. Uh, I almost like Manji more as a movie, uh, which is a crazy lesbian uh like uh, marriage falling apart weird movie and it's just got this energy that's it's got a swastika on the front because the swastika obviously means something different in Japanese culture at the time and it's just a crazy kind of sex movie Blind Beast is just you know I mean, a lot of Japanese films are wild. Uh, but this film, I think, is particularly wild. Interesting thing about Masamura, though, because all his movies, uh, Red Angels, another interesting one, uh, all his films really push the boundaries of the sexual uh, stuff and just kind of uh, intensity. But he was Mizuguchi's assistant uh, and Kon Ichiwa, Ichikawa, uh, so who are both, like, you know, two of the most notably, uh, you know, especially in Mizuguchi's case, respected Japanese directors. And so he was really, you know, kind of brought up under their wing. But then he makes this utterly bonkers uh, movie. So this is a, uh, and, and it's a throwback to a, another episode. This is 1969, but uh, one of my favorite uh, lesser known discoveries that I've ever talked about on the show is a movie that means a lot to me called The Mystery of Rampo from the 90s that was just dumped, same year as Suture, two movies that got dumped when MGM went under and they were about to release them, but then MGM went under and they kind of put them out, but with no press. Mister, This uh, Mystery of Rampo is about the Japanese version of Edgar Allan Poe and his name was Itogawa Rampo. He was a real writer who took his name kind of based on that, and this is one of his stories. So this movie is an Itogawa Rampo film. It is about a blind sculptor uh, who is completely obsessed by this very popular uh, model who has just done this very sexually provocative photo shoot for this very famous Japanese photographer. She's not; She doesn't consider herself a model. She doesn't even consider herself beautiful, but... She's now like the talk of the town, the it girl. Uh, and there's this one statue of her uh, at this one uh, showing of all her photos. And this blind guy, she's watching you know, people look at her work and feeling weird about it. It's kind of inner monologue stuff at the start. And this blind guy comes in and he basically starts getting off on the statue. He's touching it in every way. And he literally looks like he's just getting off on a statue. And you're like, what the fuck's happening? And she's watching and she's really grossed out by this guy. And, and you know, kind of goes home going, it just made me feel strange. This man, like, why is he touching every pore of this thing? She goes home and she orders a masseuse and a guy comes as the masseuse because she needs a massage. Uh, this guy shows up who's blind 
and she doesn't put it together. It's the same guy because he didn't have his sunglasses on in the previous scene. <laughs> he comes in and starts giving her a really bad – he's like a terrible masseuse. He's just kind of fondling her and then he'll just grope her and she'll be like, ha, ah, what, what are you doing? And you're like, this is a weird movie. And then uh, when, when she makes it very clear that she's not into it, he puts her under. He does the classic of the vanishing and puts the little um, – I don't know what that drug is that you use, uh, the chlorophyll. chlorophyll. Yeah, chlorophyll. Uh, and she wakes up in this warehouse – and and the and the thing that that really elevates a movie from just being you know bonkers the story to actually execution is when you can pull off the kind of design which shows that you had the money to pull something off. This movie is he. It turns out he is a blind sculptor uh, who is complete lives with his mom. She's he's very much probably you know a bit of a Tony Perkins type of character, and his mom knows what he's doing, and she's helped kind of pull off this kidnapping. Uh, basically, he has created a I guess in this in this thing it'd probably be about like a hundred foot giant naked body uh, model there's just in the middle so the whole movie is set on a set of a woman's body which is just one of the most amazing set pieces I've seen in any movie and then on the wall there's like you know 40 giant eyeballs and then another wall 40 you know uh, 30 pairs of breasts and so the the set that you're trapped in this entire movie now gets just locked into this one location is on a uh, two i think there's two giant uh, female body uh, sets uh, that she's on and he explains like you know i i can't see anything but i'm obsessed by touch and i believe there's a new language going to be of art form called touch and i'm going to like bring it to the masses and i i want you to be the ultimate model so i just want you to pose for me so i can shape everything in your image but she's having none of it she's like i have no interest in this you're not going to do any he's like oh well then i'm just going to take it and so it basically becomes a kind of a swept away or whatever these movies that become two people locked in this like erotically charged cat and mouse thing but it's it's also it's almost like um it's almost like douglas sirk done by like hardcore pornographers like <laughs> so you have all the melodrama but then you have the kinky fucking japanese uh you know pinky film and it, it's not too much nudity in, in terms of her but just the the kink of the whole story uh and slowly she realizes to have some power in this Oh, I'm gonna pretend like I actually am into this, and uh, initially I'm gonna try to manipulate so I can escape. You know, so she starts pl- plotting her escape. It's, I mean, really the design. I can't. If you just look it up on YouTube, you'll be like, oh, I'd want to see this just based on the design of what this movie. But it's made by like this guy's. A, you can tell he's a master. Like you can tell he's a great filmmaker. It's not. None of this is accidental. But what it builds towards, and this is this one's goes really dark. I, I was I, even watching it again. I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I was kind of wanting to make sure. I was sh- kind of surprised all over again of where it ends and where it kind of takes you. And I'd say for people who liked my pick of Durfan. Uh, or and the tone, I think, of kind of early Argento films, the first like three, the Animal Trilogy. I feel like it has elements of those movies in it, but especially Durfan. Uh, it's it's more lively and fun. Durfan's not a fun movie, but that kind of where that obsession goes to, because at a certain point the two kind of really do start something and when they go there you realize how destructive and crazy and it, it's again it's like you couldn't start this movie and know where it's going to end and that for me is there's no greater feeling as a film fan who's seen too many movies not that that exists to be taken somewhere where you're like I could not have written that <laughs> hats off to you Massimura in 90 before you know 10 years before I'm even alive you were able to come up with a movie like that so uh, but Blind Beast and Manji I, I recommend both of them by him and uh, I can't remember the label who put these out but I remember it was a few years ago and it was a pretty 
pretty good release. It wasn't a mainstream title, but it, I know the discs are out there. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, if you want to see giant female body parts, um, that's the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> Russ Meyer first and then come to Blind Beast. Fair enough. Have you seen this one? I have not. I have not either. Oh, okay. But you remember? do you remember these releases? Yeah. Manji? I, I mean, I know I've seen the, the photos. Okay. This yeah. Phantom Ma. Like huh? Looks like Phantom okay. Ma yeah, yeah. on a DVD. I think Red Angel's another big one. He has a lot of films, and there's a lot, I, I think, that haven't come out that are probably really good. They just haven't, you know, been able to track through all his films. Oh, he, the one other thing he's known for is he has, um, uh, what's what's the Jeff, uh, Paul, Paul Schrader's film about the- Mishima. Mishima. He has Afraid to Die, he made. Which is one of the few films starring Mishima, like Mishima's action oh, hero, wow. so with a gun and running around. That's a Massimura film. So, and that was also released by that same group. So, uh, I remember it being okay, not as kind of like a Seijun Suzuki film, but mm. not quite as good. But this film is like kind of a masterpiece. So, but it's bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, mine is a musical. Uh, it is one that I discovered. Because of a screening I saw at the New Beverly, this was when Lars Nilsson and Zach Carlson were still there, and they were touring with, I think it was called Cinema Apocalypse. That is true. Okay. So they were showing, and this movie almost made my list too, I think they were showing Carnival Magic and Surf 2, and both those movies could be on this list, actually. Both are really good for this. But there was a trailer for a movie called Voyage of the Rock Aliens from 1984. <laughs> wow. And that one really got my attention. That trailer blew my mind. They are coming, traveling through time and space. Their leader is Absid. Their mission is for science. Their only vice... We used to sit around at night watching old-time movie shows. Is music. You didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. What did you think? What did you think? We didn't think at all. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Dusty! Their destination is the home of Dee Dee, the hottest ticket in town. Her boyfriend, Frankie, the hottest temper in town. And his band, The Pack, who are always cooking. But things are about to get hotter. All it took was just one look, and Dee Dee short-circuited his fuse box. Some guys will do anything to press a girl. Now Dee Dee's got her chance. Why don't you sing with us? This guy's gonna be dog meat. But the pack want his head. We're starving. Sorry, guys. I guess I made a wrong turn. Let's dance. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Dance. It's magical. Maniacal. Could, could you wait? Too sure. It's got tunes. See, you never took auto shop. No. And tune-ups. Full of surprises. Watch it. And the beat never stops. Pia Zadora, Tom Nolan, Craig Sheffer, Ruth Gordon, and a special appearance by Jermaine Jackson. So keep your eyes and ears open. Your town might be next. Voyage 
of the Rock Aliens. Like, I was like, what the fuck is that movie? And it is it is really special to me. It's become something I've, I bought it on. I bought it on DVD. Uh, and then now there's a um, that German Blu-ray. I have the German Blu-ray now. Um, although I was noticing that the not to nerd out, but the widescreen, it looks like it's basically they're just cropping a four by three. Yeah, it's not. It's framed bullshit. properly. It's bullshit. Can you so. read that tagline on the first line out there? Uh, it's beautiful. The story of a guy. No, a, above that. Oh, is it a bird? Oh, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a rock alien. Yes, uh, that sells itself. <laughs> well, dude, but that's just the beginning. Let me yeah. just start with the cast, okay? So you've got Pia Zadora. Oh, wow. Who I love. Yeah. Uh, Craig Sheffer uh-huh. in an early yeah. role. Okay. Wow, I think we're going to hear more about him. Uh, oh, 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 I like good. this. Nice I like where this is going. Uh, and then Ruth Gordon. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Berryman. Oh wow. oh wow! So it's it's got a really neat cast. Basically, the story is that there's a Him bunch. Even the musical actually makes me really. I mean, he, excited he's not it. really part of the musical okay. numbers as much. Um, although this movie does have basically a Jermaine Jackson music video within the first five minutes huh. of the movie, and that's a pretty good place to start any movie, yeah. I think. Um, he's not featured prominently. He just kind of shows up for that part of the movie and then goes away. But it's basically about a bunch of aliens that land in this town called Spielberg spelled S P E E L B U R G E H, um, USA. And they're searching for the source of all rock and roll music. And so what follows is that they find this gang of teenagers led by Craig Sheffer, who's mostly, wearing a leather jacket with a sh- with no shirt through most of the movie. And uh, he's dating Pia Zadora, and he has a band. I forget what they're called. Uh, yeah, no, I can't remember the name of the band. But um, Pia Zadora wants to sing with them, but he's too cool for that. He doesn't want to let her sing. It's kinda, it kind of feels a little bit like it's trying to do a little bit of grease uh, to it, but then there's this whole subplot with Ruth Gordon, who's the sheriff of the town, sees the aliens land they land in a phone booth um this is pre bill and ted so i'm i'm calling are they just human aliens just yeah like they're the, humanoid aliens they they kind of dress like new, a new wave band uh-huh. they wear weird sunglasses and they have this robot that comes down with them that takes the form of fire of a fire hydrant that they talk to on the street and kind of leads them around um but so they try and integrate themselves into this small town and it's very awkward and funny and silly and there is a battle of the bands at the end of the movie i'm a big fan of battle of the bands in movies and uh piazadora ends up singing with them and their band and there's a scene that's actually kind of oddly reminiscent of a scene in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world where there's the two um, DJs facing off on one side of a stage yeah. and another side. They actually have the two bands going at it like from both sides. I'm not saying Edgar Wright's even seen this movie. <laughs> Probably not. But I did make me think of that. Anyway, it's just goofy and the songs are goofy and Pia Zadora is a really interesting presence in just about any movie. She always wants to do something like in a movie. Like she like in uh, what's the movie? She wants to be a screenwriter. The, the, uh, Lonely Lady? No. Yeah. No, it's Lonely Lady. No, yeah. no. Is it? Oof, Lonely Hollywood. Lady is a wild one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's that always something where she has a desire to do something. And yeah. She, yeah, she's a strange. She is a, she's a presence. I like whether she's a good actress or not is debatable, but she she brings something of herself to it, which yeah. I like. Yeah, no, she definitely does. And, and there's enough oddball songs in this movie that I, I was – I'm – thoroughly amused by it and i showed it to my daughter and uh and she watched the whole thing and so huh. that's that says something i will save it for our musical episode for my first time watch <laughs> but i will watch it 
Well, now, yeah, is that easy to see? Oh, you talked about German Blu-ray. Yeah, there's a German Blu-ray. There's an import DVD, but they're both readily available. You can probably okay. even get them on Amazon US, I think. Yeah, and now that we're talking about musicals, it's perfect timing because my next pick is a musical. All oh. right. Oh, that was Voyage of the Rock Aliens, by the way. Which is also my pick. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. To set set it up, uh, Jackie and our friends Aaron and uh, our, our good friend Adam, who's a, a regular listener here. Hi, Adam. Oh, very nice. Uh, we used to have a club, um, which would go see the most inappropriate for us movies uh-huh. uh, that were playing in theaters. We would frequent the Chinese Six here in Hollywood, and there was a time uh, at the end of Man's Man Theaters run there where it really turned into bargain basement films that no one had ever heard of or seen. And there was one ticket person there <laughs> who every time he saw us would say something. And it, would, it gave us a name for our clip. Uh-huh. He would tear our tickets and just go, Cinematic Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Because and then he would always tell us, oh, you're the first people to see this movie, uh-huh. <laughs> even though it's been playing for four or five uh-huh. days, just every time, just we would see these things. But uh, in 2010, the grand year of uh, Acts of Violence, uh, a musical played there called Standing Ovation, which is one of the most film movies of all time. If you've just... ever seen me out in the wild, I'm probably wearing my Standing Ovation hoodie. It's I'm not wearing it now because it's hot as fucking shit. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie musical. Starring children, made for children. There's absolutely no reason that myself or my friends would be going to see this movie. (laughs) Hey guys, listen up. Our chance is finally here. It's America's biggest video contest for $1 million. And the Wiggies have already started rehearsing for it. We have to make our own video. And how are we going to do that? Eric Bateman. His dad owns a recording studio. Yes! So, how's it going, Eric? You're looking good. <laughs> good, thank you. <laughs> I wanna do a sing. Nobody wants to sing with me. Let's just give her a chance. We're all gonna have to make sacrifices. <laughs> you girls ready for the big disappointment? <laughs> Let's just focus on what we have to do, you guys. I know that you think that you're so hot. You guys know how to dance? Sure. One shot, baby, gonna put you on the spot. All I wanna see is just what you got. And we're going to New York. My shooting star. Good kid. What's your name? Alana Wannabe. And I'm gonna be. Um, it's written and directed by Stuart Raffle, the director uh, and writer of, you know, like Ice Pirates and Mac and Me and oh, Tammy and wow. the T-Rex. Crazy. Um, it's executive produced by James Brolin. Oh, um, wow. So here's a good factoid. <laughs> at the premiere of the movie, which happened at the Universal City Walk, uh, Josh Brolin and Barbara Streisand attended. Wow. <laughs> 
So I have. I'm talking about a movie that is uh, Barbara Streisand and Josh Brolin approved. Uh, <laughs> um, but in your talk about you like uh, Battle of Bands movies, this is kind of the similar thing. A group of five tweens. They're called the Five Ovations. They set out to win a million dollars in a national music video contest. But there's a rival rich bitch group called the Wiggies, and they're out to sabotage them uh, nearly every step of the way. But that's not the important part. It's that every single scene has something that is completely, you wonder who thought, <laughs> well, I guess you know, you know it's uh, Stuart Raffle. Yeah. He, he thought of this, wrote it down, gave it to people, and they decided to do it. Um, it's just sheer insanity. And uh, I know you're talking about- Are they teenagers or are they kids? They're tweens. Oh, tweens, okay. Um, yeah. So the the rival bitch group, they're, they're like slightly older, but the other girls are probably, you know, 12, 13. Uh, though I want to point out that I did some uh, research on uh, some of these girls uh, to prepare for this episode, and I see that they've now all graduated college. Uh-huh. Um, uh, none of them mentioned standing ovation in their like Twitter bios. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just, there is like a Vito Corleone type Jersey tween is like the group's manager who's, out to find the gangsters who robbed her father. <laughs> so there's all these weird subplots about her harassing people and setting electric eels and uh, killer scorpions on random people. <laughs> there's a gambling addicted grandpa to one of the girls who keeps talking about his like his potato stew, and like he keeps bringing it up, and you have no idea why. There's like random punks. Like all of a sudden, like the group comes. Like, a file of punks um there's like every single like teen boy has like a striped fedora in the movie <laughs> and there's it's like wall-to-wall music and it's all original music except for they do cover uh tina turner's like uh river deep mountain high but not all of these songs that they perform are great um they're all memorable and all of these children give it their all you have never seen so many children think they are about to become superstars on screen at once. It's just sad that none of them are in proper lip sync with the song (laughs) and they're not in time with each other. Um, So it's kind of weird and awkward. And then it gets to a couple songs where these 10 year old boys like sing and like an adult man's singing voice comes out um, because they clearly didn't care. I mean, it's, it must, I guess it was like trying to capture the heat of like high school musical, yeah. but instead it became one of the top 10 worst wide release openings of all time. Wow. <laughs> but it's nonstop. Did the director write the songs, do you know? Uh, no, I'm sure he picked them. Okay. Um, but speaking of the director, yeah. uh, so this is also a film that I'm a huge supporter of, and uh, I did a midnight screening of it at the New Beverly back in the day. And trying to talk to the producer uh, who is also the director's wife, uh, trying to convince them that my love for the movie is real and that I want to play this and trying to work out the licensing. Um, They agreed to come as promotion. The director and the producer were set to to come to my screening. Uh, The night of the show, they pull up in front of the marquee. It's on there. There's people in line. Um, The screening did really well. As I'm walking towards the door, his car door, to like say hi, tell him where to park, he looks at me with the fear of God in his eyes 
and they pull away, never to come back. Oh my what? god, that's legendary. So no, and no explanation after the fact, I guess. Nope, never heard them. from them again. Wow. But one of the other producers did uh, come, yeah. like a junior level, and we had a very open Q and A, and it's that you couldn't have had with them. Yeah. Yes, and uh, of course, one of my biggest concerns is how do you make this labor-intensive movie with an all-child cast um, with labor laws? Yeah. <laughs> and well. You so, break them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Pretty much. You yeah. uh, pretend they don't exist. Yeah. Wow. Um, but then also sometimes producers can be uh, a little too open mouth. And yeah. you realize, oh, one of the actors in the movie is actually a vocal coach. And all of these kids went through his vocal school. Uh. And this whole movie's kind of an ad for his vocal coach lessons. Wow. <laughs> and you realize, oh, this isn't a movie for a movie. It's a, yeah. uh, like a weird scam. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Okay, this one I... Uh, you have children. You yeah. should watch it. Okay. It's on Amazon Is Prime. that all it takes? Don't want to watch this one? <laughs> well, I'm I'm advising it for everybody. I want the hoodie. But... How did you get a hoodie based on... Uh, did they merch? Oh, yeah. They sold me it. Oh, man. <laughs> they, they sold it to me at my own screening wow. where I was giving them hundreds of dollars wow. and their special guest didn't come. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, and you this, haven't seen this one? No, I have because of Phil. Okay. I've seen this one. How did Be- you see it then? Uh, I think I got it on DVD as soon as I could when it came out, and but I had been waiting a while because you did your midnight screening, and I feel like it was a couple months after that the DVD came out. Yeah. It is now on Amazon Prime, so anybody oh. that has Amazon Prime can watch it. When my cinematic suicide crew saw it, we basically hyperventilated in the theater. <laughs> yeah, I actually hit my my thigh so hard <laughs> repeatedly that the next day I had a huge welt. Like, my, my, my leg was purple. Oh, wow. Because every single thing in it is is crazy. From, yeah, there's just, yeah. It's good stuff. It's it's okay. definitely, like you said, a very Phil movie and a movie that did not disappoint when I finally saw it. I was like, wow. Should I watch this with friends or alone? <laughs> watch well, it with you will probably feel strange if you watch, watch it alone, alone. Okay. watching, like, a children's movie. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you watch it with friends, then... You will have no idea what you're watching. Okay, well, I'm glad it's on Amazon. <laughs> I'll watch Prime. it with you. Okay, all right, sold. Um, <laughs> all right, well, stuff. that sounds like a, a keeper. Um, this next one uh, on my list is a movie I really like. A lot of people are pretty unkind to it, and it was a giant bomb. But the reason I think it's uh, such an interesting movie is uh, it's it's a movie that if it was just an indie or a foreign film, none of the stuff I'm going to talk about would be surprising. But this is a star a star driven vehicle, so it's shocking. Uh, and that is uh, Joseph Losey's Secret Ceremony. Universal presents this outstanding cast: Elizabeth Taylor. I'm not who you think I am, kid. No. Mia Farrow, more haunted than in Rosemary's Baby in another extraordinary performance. Albert, 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 I don't want to hear that name again! Are you still jealous? Young lady, you go to your room at once. He touched me. Robert Mitchum as the stepfather. The wretched ledger, they call me. Secret Ceremony. A tense, suspenseful drama of human desire in its deepest, most sinister aspect. But Chenchi's still a child. Chenchi a child. That's disgusting. Why didn't you call someone, a doctor or the police? It is time to speak of unspoken things. Are you here all alone? There's nobody else downstairs? I'm a virgin, I'm a Chenchi. Was Daddy Albert a great lover? Was he... Stupendous. Are you hurt? Who was he? Listen, mysterious bitch, you fluff, you cow. 
I don't need any instructions in fatherhood from you. If you don't shut your foul mouth. There are doors to lock against the terror outside. But what about the evil within? Uh, which I uh, became first aware of from Kayla Genesee's book, House of Psychotic Woman. And to me, uh, it makes up uh, like part of Mia Farrow's kind of uh, hysterical, Hysteria Woman trilogy, like because it was right after Rosemary's Baby. And then my favorite of her films, uh, Haunting of Julia, Full Circle, where th- there is really almost like a psychosis going between the three films that get increasingly crazier if you watch the three in order. Um this is a really interesting movie, a uh, total bomb. And, you know, Joseph Lussi, you know, really uh, interesting, made a couple masterpieces like uh, his Pinter adaptation, The Servant, which is a great movie. Um, but this this film is fucking bonkers. Like, it, for a mainstream Hollywood film. So wait till we talk about who's in this fucking movie. Um, it's There's basically a penniless aging prostitute who is at a graveyard when you open this movie uh, mourning the loss of her daughter. And this prostitute is Elizabeth Taylor. So you're with Elizabeth Taylor doing sometimes a British accent, sometimes an American accent throughout the film. And this is right after the her biggest di- – well, one of no, obviously not her biggest financial dud, but boom. And this is in the period – there's actually I, – I, when I was researching for today, Larry Karaszewski is actually on the trailers for hell for this, talking about this period of her career where – most of these films are just, you can't even get them. Like there's a period of like 10 years of like really interesting Elizabeth Taylor movies that just don't exist because they're just fucking crazy. This one being probably one of the craziest. What is really strange about the movies Elizabeth Taylor made during this time is that the films have left absolutely no footprint. Almost none of them are available on home video. Boom, Under Milkwood, Hammersmith is Out, X, Y, and Z, The Bluebird, and the very strange The Driver's Seat with Andy Warhol in a rare acting role. It's like these films never existed. My favorite from this era is The Only Game in Town with Red Hot Warren Beatty coming off of Bonnie and Clyde. It's actually kind of charming, but even that movie was a famous bomb and is impossible to find. Secret Ceremony was Mia Farrow's follow-up to Rosemary's Baby. She's really quite good in this film. She plays a mentally unstable rich girl whose mother has died. She spots Elizabeth Taylor on a public bus in London, and she thinks it's her mother come back to life. Conveniently, Elizabeth's own daughter is also deceased, and so Mia and Liz move in together and set up a fake home. All goes well until perverted stepfather Robert Mitchum shows up and puts the moves on both women. Uh, so she's a prostitute, aging prostitute. She gets on the bus, and Mia Farrow, with long, straight black hair, sees her. And you quickly find out that Mia Farrow's lost her mother, who, as far as we can tell, has just disappeared, in quote marks, who Elizabeth Taylor looks identical to. Like, so she's like, Mommy, you're back. And Elizabeth Taylor is like, What, bitch? And, <laughs> uh, and without, pretty much. Uh, and she starts to go, You come back with me, come to the house. And, and Elizabeth Taylor doesn't really know what to make of her because she is playing. Like, this is about as out there a role, I think. Is, I mean, Mia Farrow is pretty crazy in general, but she, this is pretty out there even for her, the way she plays this character. But it's it's really in line with the character. Um, and her, what's her name? Cincy. And the prostitute's Leonora. Uh, so she convinces her to come home. Well, it turns out she has this beautiful, grandiose house in the middle of London. And so Elizabeth Taylor kind of comes in and true enough, she sees a photo of Cincy's mother and is like, oh yeah, you're right. I, I actually do look a lot like her. It's 
the way they play it in the movie is that she really isn't the mother, okay? Uh, but there is this weird, like, then why have her look exactly? I have no idea. So she starts talking, convincing her, you know, well, you're my mother, and I need you here, and it's so great that you're back, and we can talk about old times. And and you're like, okay, this movie's interesting. It's I love psycho. Like, psychodrama is probably my favorite subgenre, you know, of these kind of movies where you're like, like Southern Gothic. And, again, if this was transposed to the South, perfect Southern Gothic because <laughs> it has all the trappings. It's just in London. So basically what you start to see occur is Elizabeth Taylor, who's obviously lost a daughter, starts to kind of feel this maternal instinct for Mia Farrow and wants to look after her. But she also senses that there's something not right with this girl. And so they start to have a bit of a symbiotic relationship, kind of feeding each other's losses, what they've both lost. Uh, But there's something overly sexualized about Mia Farrow's character, and you don't know what it is. Like she keeps talking about daddy um, and, you you know, what's daddy like? And there's a scene in it. That is so bonkers. I mean, that's the thing. You're watching fucking A-list stars have this conversation. So if, if this was foreign, it would be one thing. But when you see Mia Farrow and Elizabeth Ta- Mia Farrow start asking Elizabeth Taylor, what was daddy like as a lover? How good was he? What did he, did he make you make a sound? Was he stupendous, stupendously gentle and also brutal? Did he make you give out a sound? Let me hear you do it. (laughs) And then they break into hysterics, laughing about... What, what, how, how daddy was like a lover. Just when you thought, like, you're right now, there's a lot of people listening to this to go, eh. <laughs> I mean, Phil brought it, Brian brought it, but Eric's just like teetering at the end. Oh, I forgot. The daddy comes home and he's just gotten out of jail for pedophilia and it's Robert Mitchum. Whoa. <laughs> Fucking gauntlet laid. <laughs> this is the craziest role he's played. Like, in, turn, take Night of the Hunter. It makes that stepfather look like nothing. He comes into this movie, and apparently he was, I was reading actually on the T- Turner Classic website talking about how Joseph Lossie's talking about like, oh, everyone was so great on the film, but Mitchum came and he just fucking hated me. I don't know what I did wrong with him, but it was painful to be around him at every moment because he just had decided not to work with me. But Mitchum's great in the movie. And he, and, and for those who are like, oh, well, that was good, but like, it's just Robert Mitchum. Uh, did I forget to mention Robert Mitchum with an Amish beard? Whoa. <laughs> yes, because that's what pedophiles roll in England. <laughs> they wow. all have Amish beards. He comes in with a perfect Amish beard. You're like, holy fuck. So he's the stepdad, and it's basically implied, and he makes it very clear that he was the one who took Mia Farrow's, going to take Mia Farrow's virginity, which was his stepdaughter. Mia Farrow? This is interesting. There's some stories going on. Anyway, <laughs> anyway I'll let that percolate in the in the ether. Um, anyway, so he comes in like a ball of fire, but he's also kind of interested in Liz Taylor too. Uh, and she's suddenly like, who is this guy coming in? So suddenly you have classic Pinter three-person menace set up. Then there's this, these two crazy aunts who run a uh, antique store, and every time they come saying, oh, we're just checking on her, but really they're just like stealing things to sell in their antique store. It's, it's kind of great, like just the perfect little uh, joke moments. But so basically now you have this three-person menace storyline that gets super sexual, super weird. They're they're reenacting this like uh, kind of whatever happened to the mother. Like it's never really addressed. She got sick and then disappeared. 
And so there's scenes with Mitchum that and Elizabeth Taylor that I think are particularly just completely bonkers. So when you're watching this movie and you're just thinking these are all three of the biggest Hollywood stars, but they are somehow in this vehicle that could, you could not make them look worse in a lot of ways, even though I think it's a really good movie. I, it, it's a good movie for people who like interesting, weird movies, but you could also see like no way does this connect to an audience at that time. Uh, really atmospheric, really kind of dread-inducing. There's a, a scene with Mia Farrow kind of going through what happened to her at one point, kind of reenacting this the whatever sexual thing happened to her where you're just like, I don't feel comfortable even being in the room of a theater <laughs> while, while she's going through this. But for me, it's like seeing Mitchum. I, Mitchum as a stepfather is obviously his go-to role. <laughs> but yeah, because to me, Mitchum's always, I think of him as just probably one of the nicest stars. Like he seems like a guy that you just want, want to get along with. But obviously it took a lot for him to play, like obviously Cape Fear is the closest probably uh, to playing a character who really is. Because, you know, that has a, a little bit of a pederast streak to it. Um, but this, this movie is fucking crazy. So, of all the mainstreaming uh, kind of uh, titles, I wanted to make sure I fit this one in for because it's bonkers in, in a different way than a lot of the ones we're talking about tonight. But it utterly is just crazy shit. So. Secret cool. ceremony. Secret ceremony. I've been and again, not easy to find. Yeah, uh, I did find just before that there. I think there is like an import DVD that you can find, but it's not a unfortunately wildly available. Definitely has been on my list. I think. I say like Kim Morgan is a fan of it or something like that. I think there's quite a few people who really like it. Who can I? I, I mean, I saw it on 35 as part of that series. That's an Yeah, we yes. saw Full Circle, Honing a Julia, this. Oh, bunch nice. Of, and it was a great series. Excellent. Cool movie. Very nice. Um, all right. The next one I've got was a discovery for me, something I've been meaning to check out mm. for a while. Cool. It is a written, directed, and produced by mm. kind of effort. It's called Top of the Heap from 1972. Top of the Heap, written by and starring Christopher St. John. No, uh-uh. Ain't gonna be no days like that. You're gonna have to shoot me right in my face, Mr. Black P. When a black man bears his soul and tells his story, he lets it all hang his rage was the illness of the times. Me! I just got back from a trip to the moon! Hassled by his soul brothers, with his mother dying, he can only escape to the moon. You're gonna have to kill me! Drop that knife! Drop it! The hell are you trying to do, huh? What are you trying to kill me, you black bastard? I put on this uniform and I go out there in the streets and people look at me and they hate me. That's because you're a mean, selfish man. Captain Latimer, what yes. has the training for the flight been like? Isolation. Uh, isolation is sort of uh, uh, like waiting at the mailbox for your welfare check. I have a little itch here. Uh, yes, sir? Take off your uniform, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Hey, mother, you want me to pull out my thing and blow you a new hole? Hey! What's on your pocket? Damn, brother, you the man? The most unusual picture of its time starring Christopher St. John, whom you last saw in Shaft. I can do any damn thing I want. I'm gonna fix it so you won't be dealing for a while, baby. Top of the heap is a powerful, dynamic story as only a black man can tell it. A Code Red title. A Code Red title, indeed. I saw it on a Code Red Blu-ray. The star of the movie is this guy, Christopher St. John. And 
it's the only film I can think of where the writer, producer, director gets his director credit over himself saying the word bullshit. I I don't think there's too many other films that have done that. Like a freeze frame on bullshit? No, yeah. I don't know if it freeze frame, but it it stops and it's directed by him. And then he's looking at something Uh off screen and he's like, bullshit. (laughs) And so that's a great way to start. That kind of sets the tone for the movie. But it's basically he is an angry cop working in D.C., and he's been passed over for promotion, probably, you know, race-related as far as why he didn't get it. And he keeps having these sort of waking visions of himself as an astronaut, which <laughs> is kind of the bonkers aspect of the movie. He just will have these daydreams where he's, like, landing on the moon. At one point, there's a scene... And it's always like he's incorporating people from his job, like his head lieutenant is an astronaut with him suddenly, and they're faking the moon landing. And another scene, he's, like, in this long white hallway that looks like something out of 2001, and he's coming in from that. It's just so bizarre, that whole side of things. But overall, it's just... I mean, there's... And then there's, like, a... There's a scene where he's, like naked in the jungle and he's like smashing watermelons and stuff i mean it's very trippy but it's it's definitely sort of an angry black man in dc and sort of his take on the world and his take on his own like he's he's got sort of problems with his wife that are stem i think out of unhappiness with his job he's got a mistress on the side that he sees so we sort of see him going through his day he starts with his wife goes to work goes sees the mistress having these flashes of the astronaut stuff throughout the day and it definitely feels like a movie that's of a piece with like i mean maybe like an easy rider or something definitely something that has a, a kind of a counterculture element to it but is very personal clearly not a robert downey senior type thing vibe or? maybe a little bit of that uh-huh. but it's i feel like it's angrier than hmm. downey senior yeah. and he and he gets angry sometimes but i feel like it's you could put it in that category too but yeah it just feels very very personal and because he's playing the lead because he produced and wrote it and directed it it's it's definitely like his vision 100 percent and it's really unique. Like I was really, I'd seen a couple programmers that I, in New York, I think that were big fans of it. Are you a fan, Phil? Have you seen yes, it? I've, I have I've, a DVD. You may, maybe you, I've seen you mention it too, but it's definitely one that I'd seen mentioned by some people that I respect. And I was like, I, I got to check this out. And it did was, he make other films after? Not much. Okay. I don't think he, I mean, he was in a few other films, uh-huh. but I don't think he made too many others. Hmm. So it's definitely unique in that sense. But I don't know. It's like I said, the astronaut stuff is just so weird and trippy that it just puts it on this other level, you know, this other level of like, I, you, I would say you could maybe put it in a black exploitation, but it's not that either. So I don't know how to qualify. It's his ninth it. configuration. Kind of. It's cool. got the astronauts. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No it's, Christ on the moon, though. No Christ on the yeah. moon. Um, it's called Top of the Heap, though. It's great. It's, it looks interesting. It's really an interesting that. movie. Code Red Bill nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well... What's the segue to this one? You had musicals last time. How do you segue from... Uh... Well, I think we're going to go into something that I'm a huge fan of. I think you guys may have even done an episode on it. Sequels. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, especially as you go further along in a franchise, they tend to get more oh, yeah. off the rails. Uh-huh. Um, and this next one I'm going to talk about is one of my all-time favorite sequels. It's by far probably the most entertaining and accessible movie I'm going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. And it's Turbulence 3... 
Heavy Metal from oh. 2001. I gave up after two. What was wrong with me? I can't believe I haven't <laughs> seen three. Two, Fear of Flying. Yeah. It's also great. Yeah. I actually like one quite a bit. I think Ray Liotta is great. It's a Christmas movie. It is. The stage is set. Right now, I'm boarding Z-Web TV's specially designed, absolutely radical 747 flying music station. It's like no airplane you've ever seen. Why don't you log on to the site and see if we can't get a train? Craven's on. Yes! Got a bite. Let's take this hacker down. We'll have field ops handle it tomorrow. It's not our job. So what do you think of this guy's music? It makes me think of now. 30,000 feet above the ground. Are you sure you're up for the ride? 200 fans on board. Well, then let's party. Woo! 10 million watching online. The self-proclaimed dark angel plays Craven! It's getting rough up here. You're picking up the edge of the storm. You could get your ass busted for this. Yeah, well, that's not gonna happen. FBI, stand up. They're about to make history. You decided to go against my orders and bust this guy on your own. We got some serious business to attend to here. Let's see what's going on before we get the bad weather. And now you're trying to convince me to some sort of a plot on an airplane? We have a visit. Sam! Get us online right now. Sure do have good timing, detective. Or go down with it. Now the party gets real. Under no circumstances are you to allow him to try this. And what if the plane crashes? Why do you think he's doing this? We're all in this together. He could overpower the satanic hijackers. The party is about to end. Your hacker has a direct feed into the broadcast. Grab the throttle control on your right and pull it back now! This plane's gonna crash within minutes. Terror that will rock your world. Yeah! And we're all going down. Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. <laughs> um, but uh, so Turbulence 3 is directed by George Montesi who is like a TV vet in front of and behind the camera plus he directed another great sequel my favorite Omen movie Omen 4 The uh-huh. Awakening uh-huh. Um, and it's written by a one and done screenwriter uh, Wade Furley who was perhaps best known as the B camera operator on Best in Show <laughs> So you know you are set <laughs> up title. for uh, something truly special. Yeah. Uh, so terror goes sky high when uh, shock rock superstar Slade Craven makes wild plans for his final show. <laughs> On board a 747 en route from SoCal to Toronto. So he's doing his last show. Yeah. It's on an airplane. Yeah. Why? Because the fucking Turbulence 3. <laughs> um, so his 200 biggest fans get on board while 10 million more watch a pay-per-view live stream on the internet. <laughs> this is like straight up 2001 internet in quotes, uh-huh. like straight up wild uh, <laughs> adventure here. Um, mm. But it's not all smooth sailing for Slade. He gets knocked out, tied up, and a hijacker has assumes his personality in order to crash <laughs> the plane into a Kansas church in order to open the seventh gateway to hell. Oh, shit. I know, right? Wow. How the fuck is this going to turn around? Yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, a hardcore computer hacker oh. on the ground 
bringing up uh, Craig Sheffer here. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, uh, and you know he's a hacker because he's wearing sunglasses and a bandana. Um, <laughs> also want to mention that Craig Sheffer is the star of Turbulence 2, Fear of Flying. Plays a different character in this one. <laughs> in the second one, he designs airplanes. He's not a computer hacker. Um, so he teams up with an FBI agent sent to arrest him, Gabrielle Lenoir. Oh. Um, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and they have to remotely help the real Slade save the day. So they are on the ground doing computer stuff, looking over each other's shoulders, hitting a button, <laughs> trying to figure out how to keep the live stream numbers up uh, while Slade is like on the plane uh, taking down hijackers. Oh my God. Um, it is totally crazy because Slade Craven is like the biggest slash worst ripoff of Marilyn Manson you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. But they clearly don't know... The people who made this movie don't know what kind of music they're talking yeah. about. <laughs> so he goes from being called goth to death metal um, and everywhere in between. Yeah. And he has like a music video and a song that they play throughout the whole entire movie. And it sounds almost identical to a Marilyn Manson thing. But he's got like corpse paint on. Like he's straight out of uh, like Scandinavian black metal yeah. band. <laughs> um, but the cast is incredible. So... There's uh, Craig Sheffer and Gabrielle Lenoir, but then there's also Rudger Hauer is the pilot. Joe Mantegna oh is another God. FBI agent. And oh, it's boy. got the amazing technological aspect of, you know, the internet and computer hackers. It's, like, even goofier than, like, hackers or, like, disclosure yeah. or something <laughs> like that with uh, the magic of the the really hot, like, late 90s direct-to-video airplane-type movies where after you know, the first turbulence or executive decision or Air Force One, they were just knocking out like yeah. all these like really shitty airplane thrillers for, yeah. you know, like dads everywhere. <laughs> and this is like the pinnacle because it's like super goth. <laughs> um, shout out to uh, Pure Cinema podcast, like Fanatic uh, Gray. I see him tweeting at you uh, all the time, uh, but he's hella goth, and I've known him for like 20 years. Okay, <laughs> nice. Um, but that's uh, Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. Not Turbulence 1, not Turbulence 2, Fear of Flying, but Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. All three are recommended by me. <laughs> Man. And do, is there any, there's nothing connecting any of these three movies, right? Airplanes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Do you think this was made as a film with that title, or do you think it was made and then given the Turbulence to be released? That I don't know. Yeah, it might be uh, worth looking at. Now. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right now. Let's I'm, do it. No, I'm just curious. I'm curious because sometimes when they're that outside the box, you wonder if it was just made and somebody slapped it on for a, a video release. It's it's entirely possible. Yeah. Well, Except the Craig Sheffer connection's interesting. It was probably like they made a movie, Craig Sheffer's in it. He said, hey, you could just throw turbulence on that. <laughs> He's like, I got my own sunglasses and a bandana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. I'm a, I'm a fan of this one. This is I've, I've forgotten how long I've known you, uh, like, or we've been sort of in contact through the internet and personally, because like, I definitely remember being turned on to this one by you as well. And I love it. That's great. That's a great pick. Um, all right, we're down to number two. Uh, this is a movie I love, always looking for a chance to give it some love. Uh, it was a Vestron title. It should exist in everyone's house on Blu-ray, but doesn't yet. Um, there is word that Synapse has announced a couple times that it was going to put it out. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, I love this film so much, and it is The Kindred. Dear God, he's still living. He's still alive. The Kindred. How many of them were there? Four. Tell me what you did. Tell me how you did it. I want to finish your experiments. 
must go up there this instant and end the experiment. If you continue this experiment, who knows what he might become. The Kindred. <laughs> Amanda was never one to give up, was she? I mean, she'd hang on, boy. She'd hang on to a dream or a nightmare. It was a mistake. If your mother did achieve this miracle, do you honestly believe she'd want it destroyed? You call yourself a scientist? A brilliant scientist! Turn the goddamn power on! It's part of your heart, part of your mind, part of your soul. He's part of your imagination! The Kindred. We are not all the same creature under the skin. Jeffrey Oberau and Stephen Carpenter made a couple f- interesting films. Uh, Dorm That Drip Blood, which is a little creaky for me. It doesn't, you know, doesn't quite get me in the first. The, is it first power? Just the power. The power is interesting and has some really bonkers moments. But this movie, to me, completely delivers. Like I've had, I've recommended some people who thought, oh, but nothing happens in the first hour. But to me, that's madness because so much happens in the first. It happens in the first minute. For Christ's sake, it, it opens with a car going into, uh, you know, changing lanes on a freeway and realizing, oh shit, there's a somebody's moving a house on the freeway and goes right into the house and explodes. That's in the first like twenty seconds of this movie. But this is just one of those horror movies that, like, I I'm a sucker for uh, goopy creature effects. Uh, you know, typical kind of, you know, teen or, you know, young adult. I guess they're all in their 20s there, uh, whether they're like Harvardy. Uh, I don't really know if these guys are, they're meant to, one guy's meant to be a geneticist, but all his friends look pretty young. And they got, <laughs> it looks like the exact same people who were going on fall break in the mutilator, but now they're <laughs> called geneticists. So you work it out, you know, it's like they took a wrong turn. Anyway, this it opens a guy's mom's uh, kind of on uh, her deathbed maybe. Uh, and he goes to see her. And she tells – I had to rewatch this one on YouTube, unfortunately, because it's uh, – my somebody has my disc, but hard to get still. Uh, he finds out that um, – she reveals like, oh, well, you know, go to my, ha- go to my house because, you know, you, I, 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 you have to destroy some of these, uh, you know, the, the tests and mentions a, a guy's name as almost like it's his brother. And she's like, oh, she must be just out of it. But he makes the mistake of talking to Dr. Rod Steiger about it. Rod Steiger, like – gets all the scenery and chews it all this is i mean it's close to him and porn broker his quality <laughs> but it's not quite the, i mean i love steiger and he and he's so fun when you see him in a movie like this but he's also a doctor in this an old friend of the family's uh lets him know what the mom said and rod does a good job of kind of disguising what that could be uh then right after that a guy comes and brings uh dr rod um I can't remember what he brings him like some sort of weird uh, I can't remember what the thing he brings him uh, but he takes him down into his lab and you realize he's been doing human genetic experiments and he's got all these kind of freak monsters in this in this basement so you think that's as far as the movie's gonna go oh it's about a doctor doing these kind of experiments and that's that's where this is headed so then the guy goes all right I'm gonna go to my mom's um, but cue sexy British uh, British British scientist uh, who also worked with his mom coming to uh, coming to the house to stay with him as well as his girlfriend and like just like I said friends out of the mutilator or something so they're su- super goofy uh, fun characters uh, I was looking up what was the guy David Allen Brooks you know from um, from Scream for Help 
So we have a connection. The lead in this is also on Screen for Help, the wonderful movie that you showed me. And uh, they go up there, start researching uh, what the story is, and uh, you slowly work your way into the, the first hour is slow, like it's a lot of buildup, but there's a couple amazing scenes. One of the most, one of my favorite horror scenes, period. It involves a watermelon in this movie. It's iconic. Like, it's just so much fun. Um, but it becomes a full-blown... I mean, I think the last 20 minutes is as good as any kind of bonkers horror cinema. Like, just, it totally delivers with the the goop, the gore. They're, they basically slowly realize there's been these genetic uh, variants uh, trying to uh, kind of replicate, uh, you know, uh, sea life uh, creatures and human DNA to create a, hy- a true hybrid and there's multiple versions of them and one is fucking huge and it's in the cellar basically and as these uh, young people start to stumble on it bad things start happening and then you just have this utterly epic bonkers 25 minutes at the end where everything you could imagine putting in a movie happens and it's just so cool when a movie like fully delivers like if somebody watches and goes eh, to the ending I, I just would I have no respect for you um, I think some of my friends feel that way so fuck them um, they're no longer I've got new friends um, but uh, I, I love this film so much. It's a real bummer. It hasn't come out yet, but I do know. I think that recently Synapse said, we've been working on it forever and it's going to happen. I don't know because when Vestron then kind of came back, you know, Vestron has this new kind of label with Lionsgate. So I don't know. I think I do believe we'll get this movie. This is a superb bonkers classic to me. Um, and yeah, I love this film. Another movie I wouldn't know about if not for Phil. Oh, really? I am, that was, oh, I see, I didn't, I that didn't was my to... favorite horror movie uh-huh. growing up. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't get this so, one from you, so that's good to know. Yes, I've, I've always been a huge uh-huh. fan because I've been obsessed with like science and horror. Yeah. I think this would uh-huh. be like a great double yeah. bill with like Prince of Darkness or something like that. Yeah. It'd be like a glowing green scientist oh, yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, but And The Unborn is like, I mean, it's not a great movie, but they're very sim- they're similar, you know, in terms and of genetics. Something interesting uh-huh. that you may not know, you mentioned Larry Karaszewski earlier, but his uh, writing partner, Scott uh-huh. Alexander, uh, he worked on all the early films by uh, the director of The oh, Kindred. Oh. So The Power and The Dorm That Drip oh, Blood. Cool. I think he might have even worked on The Kindred. Wow. wow. Cool. Have him on and uh, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that would, cool. that would actually be great. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and I love the poster design. It's a baby bottle uh, with the monster inside it. And it's just a, it's just perfect design. But this is, it's, uh, besides people like us, I just never, and probably because of accessibility, I don't hear this one spoken about. It's one that I discovered through um, years ago, same time I got Necronomicon from one of these, you know, bootleg dvds where you're just like okay i've seen the cover for years but and just i thought it was so good so if you can track it down i i mean i watched it just now on youtube and it was pretty straight vhs rip pretty decent to watch yeah i think uh, the newest synapse catalog had that and hot dog is coming out in okay. 2018 <laughs> so that's it'll like be fantastic that there. yeah and maybe we could get the directors on yeah. On that, I mean, or that, or Shockwaves, like the director. You know, I think one of them was a long-term UCLA. I, I think UCLA professor. I think they're here in town because yeah. I played Dorm the Trip Blood once, yeah. and they came and just bought tickets. And I didn't know who they were until oh, cool. after the movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and uh, yeah, I, there's things I don't want to reveal, but the watermelon gag is just so fucking great. So yeah, no, this movie is really. I mean, it's just, it gives me such a weird feeling. It disturbs me. It's, yeah. But it's an amazing watch. I was, I don't know. Well, that's what you want from one of these movies. There's suddenly something happens where you're like, you were just going in one direction and it's pretty subtle. And then you go in this like crazy elevated uh, monster moment where you're just like, all right, you got me forever. Yeah. I'm yours. <laughs> I, I, I do love Steiger in it too. Yeah, Steiger's great. Yeah. It brings it to another level. Yeah. Good okay. stuff. The Kindred. The, the, the kindred. kindred. <laughs> Actually, we should just. Do you want a permanent spot on the show where all you do is repeat <laughs> titles? Actually, that'd be quite fun. <laughs> okay, so my number one. I actually, um, 
I did a little switcheroo on my list. This wasn't on my list originally because we mentioned it on the Exploitation Sampler episode, but then I realized in rewatching it that this is probably my favorite Bonkers movie ever made, and there's really nothing else like it out there, and that is Roar from 1981 slash 2015, I guess. There is nothing like Roar. This is a madhouse. No, it isn't. It's just like life. You get the funny with the tragic. Here we are in Eden. you know what your friends are probably doing to our family right now? They are eating. Shut up. Roar. And I think, did you give me your, a copy? I gave everybody a shot. And, and, and even though I'd heard about it from everyone, right, saying how crazy it is, nothing can actually prepare you. Because when you sit down, suddenly the danger of it overwhelms you and you're like, what are they doing? Yes. Like, you just can't stop yourself. It's yeah, we may have sort of encapsulated it, but just so I'm, we can lay it out here, yeah. it's basically, um, it's directed by and produced by Tippi Hedren's ex-husband, now late ex-husband, guy's name is Noel Marshall, and he was married to her in the late 70s to early 80s, I think, and I guess they went on safari together in Africa, and they saw a house that was overrun by lions. How it came about was Dad and Tippy uh, went to Africa. Uh, Tippy used to do movies there every so often. It was always so beautiful to, to to go to the game preserves when I had time off and see the animals running free and working with each other and against each other, just doing you know what they do to make a living. This house, it was a real house that was taken over by lions in Kenya. It was a Portuguese flat style home and they were up on top of the roof and I mean it was an awesome sight to see it. They came back and they said well wouldn't that be neat to do a movie about this? And they were really amused by that idea and then started getting their own lion cubs and he already had I think two boys. Was he a trainer? He was no. He was something like that. He was a like he had a talent agency I guess and was a producer on The Exorcist and some other films, but I guess they met through his talent agency somehow. Like they dis- like his wife at the time discovered Tippi Hedren, put her in a commercial. I think that Hitchcock saw. That's something- how. Yeah, you're right. That's how he discovered her. Something like that. And so then later, when he and his wife split, I guess he was Tippi's manager, and they ended up getting together. But anyway, so they had this idea of getting these lions, and they started getting these cubs, and eventually they got like a preserve, which still exists today. It's called the Shambhala. Uh, preserve. It's in the Bay Area. No, it's in uh, Acton, California. I want to say. Oh, I always say she's up there. Um, but I, I looked, and um, I'm going. I, I meant oh. to go. They have safaris once a month uh, at the place, and then they have something called the Sunset Safari, which is a nighttime version. It's a little expensive. That's like 150 bucks a person. Safaris. Get the are- Cinema Suicide Group back together, <laughs> and we'll commit actual cinema suicide. <laughs> but so anyway, she got into this whole idea of conservationism, and and but then they started raising these lions at their home in Sherman Oaks and Beverly Hills, and so they had some there and some at this preserve. And 
Anyway, he got the idea to do this movie where they used their lions because they, they, they wanted to do a lion movie, but apparently he looked into it. and. However, as soon as the, the trainers for these Hollywood acting animals heard that we were going to have maybe 25 or 30 big cats working together, they, they laughed at us and said, this can't be done. This, you know, this, because of instinctual dictates to fight. And they suggested that we acquire our own animals to do this, introduce them carefully, and um, the first one was a rescue. And then they got more and more lions, and they got cubs, and then they got a couple tigers, and they were raising them when they were living in Sherman Oaks. To take the newly born cubs and rear them, sort of introduce them to mankind, and teach them not to eat people. It was a very interesting time. So they ended up getting something like a hundred different, I mean, they've got lions, <laughs> they've got jaguars, they've got Giraffe. tigers. I don't know if there's a, there's a giraffe shot. Wait, no, in, is it a, what is it that Tippy breaks her leg on? Elephant. An elephant. Elephant crushes her leg, yeah. That's in real it. life. Yes, yeah, that really happened. happened. While yeah. they're shooting it. Yeah. But so it's crazy because the plot is almost non-existent. It's basically like Noel Marshall plays a scientist who's living in Africa and has decided that in order to study lions properly, he has to live with them. So he basically has a three-story dwelling that's ostensibly in Africa. Really, it's in California where all these lions live in the house with him and on the grounds. And there's kind of a plot where this evil lion is starting to intrude on his nice lions and he has to kind of keep an eye out for that guy. But um, his family comes to visit him. His family played by his real family, Tippy, Melanie Griffith, and then his two sons. They come out to visit him. He's like off somewhere. So then they have this whole terrifying experience where they're in the house and the lions are chasing them all around the house. (laughs) But what's really crazy is the movie is both incredibly harrowing to watch but also oddly funny in parts when he's like trying to deliver dialogue and he's literally being knocked over by lions and he's running into these fights that are breaking out between the lions um, is it's just, it makes you so sort of uncomfortable, but like I'm, I find myself laughing in parts of it. Yeah. It's just literally you're on the edge of almost like grinding your teeth watching it. Cause you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. And you, and you know, there's parts where he's like, He's, his hand gets bitten through in the middle of a take. He's bleeding all over. And I think we talked about on the other show, Jan DeBont is one of the cinematographers they used, and he got his scalp ripped, torn off, and I guess reattached and came back to work after that. <laughs> so there's just – it says like they're the opening – well, not the opening crawl. They just say no animals were harmed, but apparently 70 – cast and crew members were harmed and I was listening to the commentary with I think uh, John Marshall one of the kids and he was saying that 70 doesn't count that's only people that went to the hospital apparently you know if you got like most of his cuts and things that he could deal with himself that didn't count as an injury it was if you had to go to the hospital to get stitched up so they had lots of other stuff like that but it's just crazy to watch Uh, because I'm a big animal person you can kind of see the draw of like these big cats and how kind of cuddly they are while at the same time they're still incredibly ferocious in moments so there's like this odd animal camaraderie that's in it but just the idea of trying to deliver dialogue in a scene with lions running around you you have really no control over what they're going to do your children are in danger your like ch- melanie griffith's just hiding in a in a thing at one point you're like what is going to happen like i know she lives because i've seen her in movies but i think she's going <laughs> to die like, <laughs> i mean it is funny because i mean they grew up with these lions so yeah. they know them and they are acting like they can actually handle themselves yeah. around the lions but they do a really convincing job of being terrified yeah you know um 
and it just it's just really mind blowing to watch. It, it started as a uh, nine month shoot, three million dollar production, and it ballooned into a five year, seventeen million dollar production. <laughs> and it has like Disney like music all the way. Yeah, through, the, right? music like, the music is really strange. Very like kitty and rompy, and it like they think they're making a big mainstream movie. Well, at a family the start. movie, That's how it feels yeah, like, yeah, kind of. But then but, it's just way too dangerous. Yeah, to but really, there's children th- would be running from the theater like in terror. <laughs> terror, yeah, no, it, it is. It's Another scary. one I've shown to my child, and, and yeah. she was she was okay with it. But. Yeah. It is a terrifying movie, ultimately. But I, I just love this movie. I, I watched it again yesterday, and I was just like, man, there is really nothing else like this. The feeling I get watching this movie, I don't get from any other movie, and I don't think I ever will. Yeah. Like, they're really literally insane to have made it. And even John Marshall says in the commentary, like, we would never do this now. In fact, it flies in the face of everything that Shambhala and the Roar organization that they've established since is about they're about these are wild animals and you should not try to live with them <laughs> and yeah. so it's not it would never happen again but it's it's one of a kind the uh, first night i was in uh, la uh, and this is before i moved here so i had just come out to visit thinking about living here i was at a urinal a lot of my best stories happen here <laughs> yeah, and I, it, it was at uh it's right off santa monica boulevard and i'm at a urinal and a guy comes up he's finishing a phone conversation and he hangs up and then he just looks me dead in the eyes like you're sitting there standing there peeing and the guy just looks at me and goes when Jan de Bont asks you to find a missile silo, you find him a missile silo. <laughs> and then he finished peeing. And I just, re- I'll, it's like burned into my mind forever. Like, I wish I knew the rest of that story. <laughs> who he was? Well, who he was. He, was just, he just had to tell me that he had just been talking to Jan de Bont. I'm like, there is my Jan de Bont story. <laughs> as close good. as I'll get. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so that was Roar, by the way. Okay, well. Nothing my, beats Roar. My last pick is going to sound, uh, you know, n- it can't compare to Roar. <laughs> but it's supposed to, uh, it's like kind of the mirror image to uh, Acts of Violence, which I was talking about earlier. Uh-huh. It's another martial arts movie that has uh, a lot going on for it. It's called City Dragon, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Warrior Brother. I watched it as Warrior Brother on videotape. I know it's on DVD as City Dragon. I have no idea what it was <laughs> called when they were like making it, yeah. but it's probably got 12 more titles. It's from 1995. It was directed by somebody named Filthy Phil Phillips. <laughs> um, and wow. uh, Filthy Phil also co-wrote it with... MC Kung Fu. <laughs> um, so it's okay. a urban martial arts uh-huh. movie. It's like a hip hop, smooth, <laughs> sexy <laughs> martial arts movie. You were checking me out too, huh? Well, I guess I was a little. I know beauty and chemistry when I see it. You sure are confident, aren't you? And how do you come up with those clever lines so quick? Oh, it's a gift. Like your beauty. <laughs> oh, you think so? <laughs> oh, indubitably. What do you say to some dining, some dancing, some sweet romancing? You know, I really don't get out much. Good. Hard work and no play keeps the wolves away. <laughs> Persistent, aren't we? <laughs> That's right. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll wear you down. You're very persistent, aren't you? <laughs> Hey, the dragon lair is it's very hot. This this town's number one night spot. What do you say? Let's hit it. I don't know. I do. We have chemistry. Well, now that our connection has been made, my memory will never fade. Till next time. 
So it's a hip-hop-fueled martial arts mashup where most of the movie is told in rhyme. And there's even a music video interlude. Oh, my God. So literally 90% of the movie is told as if they're rapping to each other. Oh, wow. And even MC Kung Fu has no rhythm. <laughs> um, but uh, Kung Fu plays the leader of a group of total horn dogs. They're always busting each other's balls. They're hitting up the club. They're looking for chicks. So it's a lot of, like, hanging out. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of like Days Confused where it's like, you know, like, these four or five, like, hip-hop dudes are, like, just chilling out, rhyming to each other, kind of. <laughs> hey, fellas! Hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> you guys ain't gonna believe this. This morning, I met this girl named Tina. Body so lean, face like a queen, graceful as a ballerina. You weird freaking hyena, what the hell do you mean? Ain't no time to be in love when you a big ass stud. You end up a dud, cuz. Hey, but I, I never met an angel so intriguing that I first wanted to get into her head before getting her into bed. <laughs> you sound like Oprah Winfrey, my man. Get into our head. Oh, give me a break, nigga, please. <laughs> hey, I'll sit this one out. I'm in love without a doubt. Hey, man, you really straight out tripping. If I your daddy, I give you a whipping. Wake up, my brother. Ain't no time to be in love. Sexy babes are waiting. I'm more than anticipating the girls will be dating. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> so that's like, you know, the first third of the movie, let's say. Uh, but MC Kung Fu has, has uh, some problem. He's always running into troublesome gangs of white dudes who seemingly have no stunt work experience. <laughs> and he keeps running into these, like, roaming packs of, like, maniacs and has to keep fighting them. And all it is is dudes who have never fought before <laughs> next to some guy who actually has some martial arts training. And he just, like, punches him in the nuts, guy falls over. <laughs> next dude comes, punches him in the nuts, falls over. Next guy, and it's like it's like a video game. It's, like, yeah. almost endless. Um, it, it's It's... There's just a lot of it. It probably has an it has an incredibly high dick punch to minute rate. <laughs> Let's just say it that way. That's quality. Um, yeah. But taking off his teeny tiny tank top, which he does every time there's a fight scene, and breaking out his nunchucks, which he also does all the time, uh, they're not going to solve his problems when he finally meets the girl of his dreams, and her abusive ex does not approve. Why are you dissing me when you should be kissing me, and why you want to be stuck up, huh? No. I, I want to be smart. See, I'm interested in guys that are interested in my inter as well as my outer. Now, if all you're interested in is my outer, then all I have is a screwy rabbit. Sorry, rabbit. Tricks, kid. You haven't even given me a chance yet, baby doll. I know what's up. Your body's slamming, your face is jamming. But how do you know that that's all I care about, huh? Because you remind me of my dog, Rover. You even have the same color eyes. Now, you may be a little more pickier than Rover. See, I saw Rover with a pit bull today. Now, you don't look like the pit bull type to me. I think you're a little too conceited for that. Conceited? Mm-hmm. And I can't believe the girls you get with those phony pickup lines. I get what I get. You're flattery and bullshit. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm-hmm. I have a funny feeling. If I looked up the word dog in the dictionary, Ray, I'd see your face. Check you out. Yeah. Beauty SOH. Beauty, balls, and a sense of humor. What a package. Have I hit the lotto or what? 
Damn, girl. You remind me of me. <laughs> Talk about stuck up. Girl, I want to get with you. Mm -hmm. Just like my dog, Ray. See, he does a trick. I give him a bone. I bet your bone doesn't care what trick it does. As long as it gets in. Honey, trust me. Yeah, trust me. My days as a rover are over. Mm -hmm. Lovers made me wise. I see chemistry in your eyes. <laughs> Maybe. Well, let's hook up, buttercup. <laughs> Come on, Timo. Why don't you give me a chance to prove that this morning really was chemistry? You will not regret it. <laughs> Who was that? Um, I think he's a chemistry teacher. <laughs> and that's where the movie just completely changes. Huh. And it goes from this fun, loving, goofballery and swerves into a serious and seriously depressing social drama hmm. where, oh, fuck, her ex-boyfriend is mentally and physically abusive. She's trapped at home with a father that she doesn't like. Oh no, she gets pregnant. Oh, the father wants her to have an abortion. We don't know who the father is. Is it the <laughs> ex-boyfriend? Is it MC Kung Fu? He decides he doesn't really love her, but he marries her out of, like, just because he wants to do the right thing. They don't get along anymore. <laughs> it's really depressing. Wow. Oh, her, the ex-boyfriend, like, who's mentally ill, decides to, like, kill a bunch of people. And then he gets sent away to a mental institution. Oh, my God. It's only Alan Clark that <laughs> yeah. takes over the rest of the um, So it goes from totally fun, something that, you know, it looks like all the extras from A Different World <laughs> um, teamed up with uh, the cast of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to remake The Last Dragon turns into, like, this like, abortion drama that seems wow. very timely, I guess. Uh -huh. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, city dragon, aka Warrior Brother, <laughs> aka I have no idea what else. Kitchen sink realism <laughs> title, uh, something. Um, but yeah, MC Kung Fu is like a hero of mine, and it's on DVD. There's a very cheap DVD uh -huh. of it, um, and I highly recommend. And who made it? Did they make one of these guys make it? Yeah, now? Filthy Phil Phillips, okay. uh, who also co-stars in it. Um, uh -huh. Have you had a chance to talk to him? Yeah. I have never been able to get uh -huh. a hold of them. Oh. Um, have you ever tried to screen it? I have never been able to get a hold of them. Oh, so you can't even. Yeah. yeah. But that's probably because his real name's probably not Filthy Phil. <laughs> yeah. It might be a little harder to research. <laughs> yeah, I mean, MC Kung Fu's name is, like, Stan Durain, so, okay. like, I know that. And, like, every once in a while you'll see something in, like, back in the IMDb board era uh -huh. where it'd be like, oh, he's making a new movie. And you'd think, fucking can't uh -huh. wait. And then just nothing happens. Uh, where is it set? What city? Here in L.A. Okay, so he could, okay, so put it out to the listeners if anyone knows the origins is behind these movies. Yeah, I feel like I should just go up to, like, every awkward white dude on the street and be like, hey, did you get punched? <laughs> In the nut <laughs> and rhyme, you have to do it in rhyme. <laughs> See if you get lucky. Yeah. Um, well, I highly recommend it. It's okay. like six bucks on Amazon. It's worth right. every penny. Sweet. All right. Done. Um, this, is, uh, this is another more mainstream one for uh, people who uh, like outside the box movies. But for me, this is one of my favorites, and uh, still to this day, I'd say probably my proudest moment of Halloween costuming. Um, Blue Sunshine by Jeff Lieberman, 1977. 1967. Doctors and scientists predicted it. Blue sunshine. Did you ever hear the words blue sunshine back in school? 
Jerry didn't do this. Like this. Sick! One man must solve the mystery. The victims. Wendy Fleming. Divorcee. Wendy! Blue Sunshine. John O'Malley. Lieutenant Los Angeles Police Department. Blue Sunshine. Franny Scott. I found Photographer. Hey, wait a minute. Blue Sunshine. Wayne Mulligan. Campaign manager. Blue Sunshine. Dr. David Bloom. Kelly. Resident surgeon. Give me a sponge. I said a long instrument. 1977. The nightmare has begun. Blue sunshine. Blue sunshine. It could happen to you. This is a great little movie. Uh, really holds up. I think the soundtrack's amazing. Uh, when we talk about great screen performances, like truly the greatest acting performances, uh, you know, we'll never talk about Zalman King in that category ever. Uh, Zalman King, who is better known uh, for being the softcore producerial mind behind uh, Red Shoes Diaries, for some reason is cast as the lead in this movie. And I'll, to this day, I'll never understand how he got that. He doesn't know what to do with his arms. And that's like, you know, and I realize now when you learn a little bit more about acting, you realize, oh, that's people who can act versus people who just can't act. Like I could never be an actor. It's because I wouldn't, I would suddenly think, oh, what are my hands doing? And suddenly they would be doing shit that doesn't make sense. Whereas Michael Caine's thing is like, just do nothing, you know, but I can't just do nothing. Zalman King cannot do nothing. Every, watch this movie carefully and you'll see every scene he enters, he's doing something because he doesn't know what the fuck to do with his arms. Uh, but it opens with him with a reindeer sweater. And it's one of the most glorious. If I could find the sweater, I don't think I'd need much more. I, uh, actually, I will end this podcast forever. If somebody can just give me a sweater, I can stay at home with the sweater. Uh, it's a beautiful sweater, uh, and it looks like it's a very hot day, but they're all wearing sweaters pretending it's Christmas somewhere in L.A. Uh, it was meant to be a New York film, but they, for some reason they ended up having to do it in, uh, in L.A. Um, and there's a, one of his good friends. There are all these friends just hanging out, and one of his friends goes homicidal, maniac, loses his hair just instantly. His hair uh, falls out, and then he goes uh, full maniac, and they're all like, you know, devastated but for uh, a lot of people suspect that it's the Zalman King character so suddenly he's a murder suspect it's kind of one of those stories where he's fleeing but quickly we start to the audience starts to find out about this acid that 10 years ago a group of people took and it has uh, this side effect that takes 10 years that's what I love about the story and it's like there are parts of the story that are pretty slow burn and don't really aren't as exciting as you want it to be when you go back to it but when the batshit moments happen they fucking deliver um, and so 10 years later they become it actually you lose your hair suddenly and you become homicidal and I don't think there's ever really an explanation why any of this is really happening but there's a great sequence in the middle of this film that's probably one of my and it's the iconic imagery behind the movie of a woman uh, a mom who uh, suddenly goes in the other room, you know, loses her hair, wearing her like, uh, you know, uh, her robe and comes in with a giant knife and she's going to kill her 
children. And so it's just, you know, totally taboo. And Zalman's going to try to save the day as he's slowly piecing together by looking up these old college friends, you know. And uh, that was my Halloween costume. I went as her. <laughs> so I got a bald, uh, a, a good uh, bra and a thing and a, a bald cap. And I just looked horrifying. I looked like, I looked like, um, who's the uncle from uh, the Adams family? Fester. Fester. I looked like Fester. I didn't look like her at all. Uh, but it felt good. I liked it. Um, but anyway, uh, and as he slowly pieces these things together, uh, what's most notable besides that scene is just he starts to realize there's a political candidate who also went to uh, college with him and starts piecing together that he might have been responsible for this bad acid. And the guy has this bodyguard who's like this, you know, six foot five uh, monster. And there is a disco scene where he loses his mind in a disco. And this is before, like literally, if you listen to Lieberman talk about it, uh, it's just before the disco craze happened. So he was like before uh, the Bee Gees hit and everything changed and Saturday Night uh, Fever. So it almost seemed weird that he was even trying to put this in a movie and people didn't really understand it. He got a lot of uh, kickback. But now it's this iconic sequence uh, of this movie. And from that moment to the end to me is where it's just pure bonkers fun. Watching people like lose their mind and lose their hair is just fun in itself. Um, this this uh, disc is incredible. It's like, uh, is it Sinalicious who put it out? I can't. It's a company who's only put out one thing so far. Um, I but remember. man, I think that's like the best release of anything in the last few years because it's, it's like... I can't even close my – I opened it one time and I can't close it again because there's so much shit packed in there, including a um, <laughs> including a tab of Blue Sunshine Acid. I don't know what it is. I haven't tried it yet. But uh, there's all these – you know, just so many extras put, packed in there. But it becomes – you know, so there's actually an interesting story. I don't know if it's all that complete, you know, in terms of about politics and, and acid and just kind of like the era. I thought that somebody should do a horror movie based on – you know, the, everybody would talk about the horrors of drugs, you know, right. what it, horror, not from the establishment point of view, but the people that were taking the drugs. So at first I was thinking, well, what about all these people that are taking LSD? What's going to happen to their offspring? And then uh, I took it one step further and said, well, what's going to happen to them 10 years from now? Uh, and I came up with this idea of uh, a delayed reaction on the, you know, chromosome damage. And I did a lot of research on it, and basically this could happen tomorrow. Not, you know, a variation of it could happen. But the moments where it goes bonkers, this is a really great movie. And it's just one I'll, I'll always uh, deeply love. Uh, and, you know, it's it's always just, like, you always wonder how, like, Zalman, I mean, it's really quite a quite a bad performance in a otherwise really <laughs> interesting. Like, you just think, what would this be like if somebody was really, really good in this role? But it's interesting to watch him. Uh, and Lieberman's, I like all of Lieberman's films. I don't think he's made a film I don't like. I find them all interesting. There, and I think, uh, you know, obviously, we've talked about Just Before Dawn, deeply love that film. Uh, I think Squirm's a really well-made movie, and Satan's Little Helper's fun. So, yeah, uh, all of his films have, like, that weird element. Yeah. Like, there's that, like, egg cream scene in Squirm that's, uh-huh. like, bizarre, or there's... The yeah. dance around the campfire scene and just before dawn. He definitely like has that orter quality because you don't feel like anyone messed with his movies. Like this is what he wanted you to see, which makes it also probably why they don't all go become bigger hits. You know, uh, interesting character too. Like and so one fun thing is I think this is the only one that will exist in the history. But I think this this has an extra feature of um, the original Killer POV trio interviewing Jeff at Jump Cut. So it's probably the only extra feature on a disc I think where right. Jump Cut. I know that I know. Apparently, we're in the Larry Cohen documentary, but I haven't seen it yet. But this is, might be one of the extras where you'll get to see a little taste of jump cut. So, it has it has that place in my heart too. I don't think it was very good Q and A from memory. Like I remember <laughs> standing there going, "Why are we standing here talking?" You know, it just didn't feel like a very. Uh, but they put it in, so that's cool. Um, love the movie though. 
Blue Sunshine. Blue Sunshine. I would, I would definitely pair it with the Peanut Butter. Uh, ah, Peanut Butter Solution. Yeah, yes. I talked about it a couple episodes ago. Well, that'd ago. be a good one. Yeah, you're a fan of that film? Of course. It's <laughs> such, a, such a cool little movie. It's Canadian. It's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Canadian. It's quality. <laughs> it's a guarantee. So that's Blue Sunshine. Um, did you guys, uh, let's see, was there, oh, just to mention, I did not know that the neighborhood that the family in Blue Sunshine live in is also the neighborhood used for Nightmare on Elm Street. I did not know that until tonight. So there you go. Everyone gets a little something tonight. <laughs> Thank you. No one goes home a loser. <laughs> um, was there? Okay, so there's one I need to bring up because I thought I, I put it at the end, saying I need to ask Phil his thoughts on this movie because it's the craziest thing I've seen in the last like five years of, of these rediscoveries, mm-hmm. and I want to know what you know about the origins of this one. I saw it uh, towards the end of Cine Family, um, and it would be on my list otherwise because it's it really is the craziest thing, and that's the Astrologer. My name is Craig Marcus Alexander, and I was born to lie, cheat, and steal. I steal hundreds of thousands of dollars, only I do it legally. The left hand shows that you had a romance that just ended. Very close. World famous sidereal astrologer, Craig Marcus Alexander, the astrologer. Do you really know your true sun sign? What about the horoscopes for the public? The books aren't selling. Nothing is happening. You're falling, baby, right down into the muck. Everything that you see, everything that you do, everything that you are is because of me. Bullshit! You've got nothing left. Now, we're going to get down to business. 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 When you hear the sound of the drums, you're as good as it is. What now? More shit. Because <laughs> that made it to my short list as well. Because that movie is unlike the only movie I could compare it to is Citizen Kane, and I mean that in all honesty. <laughs> because it is so, it feels a, it's a little bit structured like Citizen Kane in terms of its story, but also it's just like no one could make that movie except this guy. But tell, I was curious if you know because I remember hearing originally how how the print was found and how that how this thing was even discovered, and be, and now it's kind of touring a little bit. So do you, so I think uh, what happened there was. Uh, they found the print in the American Genre Film Archive, which mm-hmm. is like the print archive arm of the Alamo Draft House, and they just have a huge number of films that they don't necessarily know what they are because there's no information on them, or even some of the prints might not even have titles. Um, so they uh, occasionally do these like real one parties where they just play real one of a bunch of different film cool. prints yeah. to see if there's anything of interest. You know, you might put something on and go, "Oh, this is." an unsubtitled like Hong Kong drama. This is not going to be interesting. But when you come across the first reel of Astrologer and you're like, oh, it's about some strange uh, circus guy yeah. person who has, you know, astrological Psychic foresight or whatever, yeah. um, you're thinking, I got to see the rest. And it only gets weirder. 
And there's moments where like there's a sailboat scene that just feels epic, and you're like, and there's other moments where you, where I feel like it's a bit more Susan Caney, where he's like building his empire. Yeah, and then you know he becomes like a famous astrologer, and then this astrologer decides to make a movie called The Astrologer yeah. um, about his life, and then he goes to the movie theater to watch The Astrologer, watching The Astrologer. <laughs> yeah, um, and I can honestly say that's one of the only movies where I said out loud to myself like, "Holy fucking shit!" I actually said like, I remember sitting in the theater going, "Oh my fuck," you know, like. What is this? And yeah. how, how did we not know about it? It's it's a noggin sizzler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> supposedly, the word on the street is that, like, the Craig Denny, the guy who made it, yeah. may have been into people for some money, didn't uh-huh. really... The movie didn't work for normal audiences, didn't really have distribution, didn't know what was going on. Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be any home video release because it uses some Moody Blues songs, including one absolutely stellar scene where it's like a slow motion argument where a couple is like uh, at dinner and it plays the whole like four minute song and it's like a slow motion. It just looks like people dining and then it just like builds into this weird um, hateful rage on screen that you've never seen. And the audience is losing. I mean, I remember the audience was just dying watching. It was kind of an amazing moment. It's... So, but it, it, but I have noticed the reason I brought it up because I, I just saw it was about to play somewhere. It might even be in a different country, uh, but it's obviously touring at least. So I think it's playing at the Nighthawk in New York soon. So yeah, so like I, I mean, honestly, of all the things I've seen in a cinema in the last, it's up there. Like for me, it's that and Gone with the Pope for movies where you're just like, wow, you know, that's truly special. I mean, Gone with Pope's a favorite, but, you know, these are movies where if you get a chance to see that, then especially if it doesn't get a, I, I've just been waiting, assuming they were going to release it sometime soon. Yeah, I think And that, I haven't seen it because I missed all the screens I should have seen. Yeah, yeah, I think, it, you know, AGFA may have uh, scanned it. And, yeah, uh, we'll see. But I don't think... They have the yeah. Yeah, because I, I can't be imagine the filmmakers. And have. no one's found Craig Denny, like, been able to talk to him. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, uh, the Dr. Demento guy, I think, like, was involved in the making of the movie. Oh. He came out to Cine Family for one of the Q&As and was even saying, hmm. <laughs> but I think there's going to be a, huh. make a documentary about the rediscovery of the astrologer and the making of it. So I think nice. some of that might be hitting in there. And before you hit eBay trying to buy that awesome astrologer poster and you find one with a guy sacrificing like a lion or something, like he looks like Hercules, there's another movie around the same year, I think no. within two years, called The Astrologer. And that movie, and I think that's why they weren't that. I think I'd heard part of the discovery was when they pulled it up, they saw that title and thought it was that movie. So people were like, oh, it's that movie. And that's it's a totally different movie. Anyway, that one is one that I definitely want to put on people's uh, maps because man it's special it's really really good yeah <laughs> i didn't pick it because i thought you would pick it well and, and, and i didn't pick it because I, th- I just didn't it, it's also a little it's just been in the zeitgeist so uh because we also didn't mention some of the more obvious things the um what's the miami connections and there's so many interesting movies raw force maybe yeah that's not that obvious but um dangerous men Dangerous Man, yep. Reflections of Evil. If you've never seen that, it's something special. <laughs> Reflections of Evil, no matter which version you watch, is oh, yeah. wild. Have you had Damon Packard on the? No. We haven't had him on this, but uh, I've, I mean, I've talked to him a bunch of times. I had him at Jump Cut quite a few times. I had like multiple nights for him because I truly think some of his work is amazing. Some of the shorts that he did before I just think are incredible. But Reflections, I think you should, I feel like when you move to LA, you should be forced to watch that before you do anything else. <laughs> John Carpenter doesn't agree. <laughs> Didn't he have a restraining order with John, John Carpenter? Had a restraining I, I, think, order? I think he had a. Or that's the legend. Yeah. Uh, but look up Reflections of Evil if you're if you're so. But yeah, so many good, so many good bonkers cinema, and some of yours are going to be hard to track down. But I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Little Girls Sing when I get home. <laughs> 
nothing creepy about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Late at night, your wife will come in and go, I don't even want to know. Yeah, don't, don't worry. I'm all <laughs> alone at the home right now. So <laughs> yeah, just blame Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, man. This yeah. is, uh, hopefully it's not as scary, you know, podcast. not that bad, huh? It was the worst event of my life. <laughs> <laughs> You're traumatized. I hated everybody. Uh, well, we but, uh, seriously well, we didn't, it. so that's good. Yes. We, we, we appreciated it. it. Our listeners will certainly appreciate it. You brought the great list, so thank you yeah. so much, sir. Well, thank you so much. Let's cut this thing off. <laughs> and, they can, and they can find you on the new Beverly social medias and your own, just at Phil Blankenship, I at guess. Tronics. Yes, yeah, so you can contact me on Twitter at Tronics, T-R-O-N-I-K-S. There you go. Or if we can not include that, if you don't want. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah, we, can we not include the last two and a half hours? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're keeping all that part, even us asking if you don't want to include it. All right. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, this is the second to last episode of the season. Yes. Uh, season three will be coming to a close uh, when, when, a couple weeks. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks to all our Patreon, uh, patron supporters. Um, Patreon, whatever you want to call it, Brian. Yeah. You can edit it however you want. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Thanks to the Pink Smoke. Yep. And the Now Playing Network. Uh, yes. Stay bonkers. Which will it be? All. Oh. Let me close early today.